it's been a it's been a good few days since I saw you, but how you doing? Man, I'm doing awesome. Uh <clears throat> I actually had something really cool today. Uh did something for the first time. Um which we can get into whatever, but uh I did uh I went to an active shooter training for uh church protection today. Okay. Um there was this company it's called Protect His House and they offered it and I was like, man, you know, it, it it's unfortunate that we're in a time where that's even something that is needed or considered. But uh we're there and I went today and it was really I mean it was it was awesome, but I'll tell you, it's there's a thing that I'm going to look more into called, uh, and I know you've heard of it, you probably do it, stress inoculation. Yeah. Dude. Oh. That's, that's uh, I'm going to get in, I'm going <laughs> to start looking into that more. Um, what there's, appeals there's something. What, a, what, uh, what about it really just kind of appeals to you the most? Well, I'll give you a, a funny example um, or an interesting one. When we started, well, they, let me it, back up. Let me let me back up and just say what it is. It, it's okay. kind of it's kind of just a a preparatory situation where you induce stress or you put yourself in stressful situations so that it more mimics kind of a, a lifelike situation than crisis or something like that. Um, yeah. But that's 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 the layman's kind of approach to it. But that's more or less what it is. Yeah, and it, it's kind of it, it's learning to be able to process information when chaos is all around, um, and it's something because man, I've been I've been like stressed out all day because uh, it was an all day thing, and I mean my stress level was high because we did a lot of live scenarios. Sure. I mean it's obviously you know same munitions. I mean we weren't actually shooting somebody, but it was interesting to see that because I've. I've never been in a shooting, like shootout um, scenario, thankfully. I hope I never am. But, uh, man, the first scenario, we had a guy, and we're in a church in a congregation, and we got teams, and I'm on a five-man team. We all are concealed carrying um, a simulated, I guess they call it simulated, but uh, like simulated Glock. And this dude stands up, and he he just stands and draws and he aims at the preacher and we all stand. I watch everybody stand. And this is the first scenario we've done. And it was, it was pretty neat because all of us stand and draw on the guy, but all of us just stand there. Right. Drawn. And the dude ends up, he shoots the preacher. Like uh, we hear his little, like the click go off. So he shot him. And then we saw a guy shot him, but we were talking to the instructor afterwards and he was like, why did you stand there? Like, uh, because <laughs> I drew and he was like, everybody just stood there. Um, and he said, that's actually really common because your brain, you know, I've never trained myself for like a crazy high stress moment where I have literally like one second to see what's going to happen and you just he was like your brain can only function so much at one time like you're thinking about the shooter you're thinking about your gun and you're not thinking about your feet 
So your feet just plant there. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was pretty wild, man. Well, you know, I've seen a, I've been in a more than a couple of barroom scuffles in my life, and you could always tell the guys that had been there before, so to say. Um, yeah, you know, there's just something about it, and then. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough to be around some of these operators and the special force type guys that have done some three gun events. And yeah. dude, it's just, you know, I'm like a fish out of water. And, you know, I, I shoot my guns pretty regularly. Um, you know, COVID kind of hurt that with the, the ammunition prices going sky high. But, you know, prior to that, I used to shoot pretty regularly. And yeah. I would, I would, I would have classified myself as competent. Um, with a firearm until I saw someone who the military, <laughs> you know, special forces military qualified as competent. You know, it's, it's a big thing. And it, it, man, you and I even talked about this, you know, um, out there on that elk hunt in Arizona, brother, you know, I told you, I, I almost made a post about this and uh, I don't know if it, if you ever do this, but sometimes I'll feel like, you know, I'll really feel this big charge of emotion or, or you know, have like an, a, a creative dump where I'm just really kind of flowing. And then I go to press send and it's like, man, this is dramatized and overhyped, <laughs> you know, but, yep, uh, but I was, but I was sitting there thinking, man, like I'm a damn good shooter, yeah. but I'm not, but I'm not a great hunter. Um, you know, you can, you can be able to run mountains and hike all you want but that doesn't guarantee you're going to be able to pack out well. You know, yep. you can you can do all of these things. You can read the martial arts book, but you're not going to be Bruce Lee. You know, that's kind of one of those yep. things. It's like until you really put yourself in some of those situations, I think men especially, you know, especially guys like me and you, you know, athletic backgrounds or, you know, hardworking backgrounds, we have a certain understanding of how well our body can work in certain situations. Man, yeah. I, you know, I really do think that the average, I'll just go so far as to say the average American, not just the average male, but certainly the average male um, overestimates their ability to succeed in stressful situations. Absolutely. And that was actually <laughs> one of the, one of the main things that guy said leading us into that. he was like, most people come here thinking they're about to be like a freaking Billy badass. And, uh, he said, you know, and, and it, he said, it's humbling. And I, I mean, I'm same as you, man. I, like, honestly, it humbled me that first time. Cause I was like, afterwards, I'm like, why the hell didn't I move? Like move to shoot. Because when I drew on him, there was a guy behind him seated. And so I did have, I guess, enough of the composure to realize if I shoot him, there's a high probability that I'm going to hit the guy behind him. Who's a good guy. Right. But instead of maneuvering to put myself in a position to stop the threat, I just stood there. And, uh, you know, I, I will say I, I did, thankfully, after that, I, I guess it like got my brain going because then I didn't fail to act in remaining time. So I was like, I guess at least I did it the rest. But it's just, it's really, you know, it's crazy. And he talked about the high level guys because he's, he was, uh, military and then law enforcement. He had been, he had a very long background in this. And he said the high level guys, which I guess would probably be like your SF and then kind of that SWAT team stuff. And yeah, he said some of those guys, 
they can go through in like an active shooter scene, clear a shooting house, engage targets, all this. And then when they get done at the end, they can tell you this, the first room had a three on the wall. The second room had a seven. The next room that I cleared had a nine on the wall. Like they can actually, they're so trained to handle the stress that they can even notice the fine details in the rooms. Whereas like, me man you know the crap hits the fan in those moments and i'm just like where's the dude at you know like it's (laughs) right that appealed to me i was like man that's that is something and i mean obviously not for just a shooting scenario i hope like i said i hope i never have to use that but i feel like that's something very applicable to life in general well i'll tell you this man you know i haven't i haven't told too many people this and um it's it's not something that i try to walk around you know, I'm not even sure that proud is the right word. It's just like, it's a real situation and it was an unexpected situation. It was one of those one in a million type circumstances, but that's when all the preparation comes into play, you know, is in those oddball situations. I'd been down to Sornex for a Christmas party and, uh, just one of those times, man, you know, I'd been there all day. I'd been there the day before doing some work and had dinner, got to see everybody, got to shake hands, kiss babies and all that kind of stuff. And it was just a really good night, but I could tell like if I ducked out of there right about eight o'clock, you know, I could probably make it home before two. And, you know, it kind of, you know, just give me another day at home, another day to kind of catch my breath from everything going on. So I tail out of there. And I get to Stinking Creek, Tennessee. And I, I told Greg Walsh about this, my friend from Wolf Brigade. And um, we were just talking about how, like, he has this mantra that preparation is not paranoia. And yeah. I, I think that's a very valid statement. And, uh, you know, we were we were talking about this incident where I pulled over to a gas station that I, you know, every time that I go south, Pretty much, I stopped down there whenever I'm going through Knoxville and whatnot, and I pulled over away from the gas or the the gas pumps. I kind of just pulled off to the side. Yeah. Well, it was one of those deals. I don't know if it was one of the the cheeseburgers or, or the steaks or whatever it was I had there the the Christmas party, but I just got that carb coma type feeling. You know, I'm two hours from home <laughs> and. I'm trying to drive, but I just didn't feel like I could go anymore. And I pulled over and I set my alarm for 20 minutes later. Well, two hours later, I wake up and my radio had been on. I've been listening to a podcast and a truck wouldn't start and it's raining like a light drizzle. So I get out and I put my truck in neutral and it, it was rolled against the curb and I pushed and pushed and pushed as hard as I could. It was on a little bit of a downhill slope, but I got it backed up underneath the canopy where the gas pumps were and uh, called the tow truck. And I was like, hey, man, just stuck here at Stinking Creek. Nobody's here. And, dude, it was one of those nights. I've stopped there probably a 100 times without exaggeration in my lifetime. There wasn't a parking light on. There wasn't a street light, a highway light, nothing. I mean, it was the darkest this place, as dark as this place has ever been. And it's a, and it's a nice little place. Like when I stopped there in the day, pleasant little deli and everything. You know, just a good stop. So anyhow, yeah. the guy's like, "Hey man, it'll be about forty five minutes, and we'll get you over there. We'll get you jump started." Real and nice guy. Is that what it was? Your battery had died. 
Yes, sorry, I didn't say that, but he, you know, my battery had died down because I had left the truck on accessory because I'd only thought it was going to be 20 minutes, and uh, which was stupid in my own right, which tells you probably how tired I was. But, <laughs> it, I, you know, it's just one of those one in a million times, like the one time yeah. I turned my damn truck off. So this Tahoe comes over. It was a square body, so it was like a 94 to a 98 or something like that, you know, the old square yeah. body, K-body K Chevrolets. And uh, this red Ford Escort came up behind it. Well, this guy gets out, and I was like, what's up, man? You with the towing company? He's like, nah, man. He said, I just wanted to help, you know. And long story short, there were four girls in the car behind them, and there were four guys in the – or three guys in the Tahoe. And, man, it was just chaos. They were definitely on drugs. I believe it was meth, just the way that they were talking really, really fast. And Yeah. Uh, there, what they approach you? Well, they approached me, and the guy was, like, acting like he was – well, I guess I should just tell the whole story outright. So he comes over, and he's like, yeah, man, I don't care to jump you, whatever. And I said, okay. So he's doing that, and I got the hood up, and this girl comes over, and she's talking. I thought she was on the phone. She's like, yeah, man, I remember you from that fucking party. I remember you at that party. You was over there with that horse, and you was there, and you was riding that thing, and the lightning was going on. And she was crazy, like, just talking out of her head. And yeah, the guy, and the guy that was hooking the cables up was so stoned he was cross-eyed, <laughs> and his eyes would kind of cross in and out when he was talking to me. And he was like, "Don't listen to her, man. She's done too many drugs. She's messed up in the head." Blah blah blah. So there's, like I said, they're just seven people kind of moving around me and my truck and their cars and they're talking and they're smoking cigarettes and dude, it's just it's bad news. Like I didn't feel yeah. good at all, and this is like two o'clock in the morning at this point. So I'm just like, all right. So I stayed between my door and my steering wheel. I always 100% of the time when I'm on the road, carry a pistol. Um, yep. I carry, I carry a pistol legally. I have the concealed carry license. I just, I just believe it is an insurance policy for me. And this proves my case. So I, I had it in my console and one, once I got the feeling that stuff was kind of getting hairy, I put it on my appendix. That's where I usually carry is the apex carrier on my hip. And um, I was standing there. And finally, they kind of got in a group together away from each other. And I was like, hey, what y'all doing? He's like, right, we're going to call my buddy Travis. It ain't jumping. Well, Travis shows up, and he's like 6'5", 350 pounds. Yeah. So my, my feeling is they've kind of looked me over not felt so good about their odds and they called the biggest guy. Where where are you at this point? Are you still, I'm still still, 300, uh, probably 275 ish range, you know, but, but a really athletic muscular 275. Yeah. And, um, so probably 300 ish to, to, you know, to my normal state when I wasn't in as good a condition, I probably would have been 300 pounds. So anyhow, you know, Tattooed dude, 275 pounds, standing there. They call their big buddy Travis, and he comes over and he's like, "Man, I got batteries." And I was like, "I just need a, I just need a fucking jump start, man." You know, and I'm talking to him, kind of behind over my truck, and I turn around and the original guy is uh, kind of in front of me. He's like, "Let's try to jump it again." So I get over there. He's never even put it on the battery or anything on his end. It's on a plastic piece. Yeah, and there was there was kind of that look of recognition of like, 
oh, this ain't what I thought it was. You know what I mean? Like I realized right then that they had kind of, I mean, I knew that there was something off, but I realized for sure that they were playing me. So there was that moment where we looked, we locked eyes and he kind of approached me and I said, man, I, get me started. Let me get home. I said, there's an ATM right down here. I said, I'll give you whatever you want. I just want to get home. He said, I want you, I want your truck and I want your ATM card. And that's when I, I said, you take one more step and I'm going to kill you and I'll kill one of them too. You know, like it was just all that came out of my mouth. Um, it wasn't like I was even knowing what I was saying, man. It was just, I knew that there was two of them in my periphery. You know, I could, I didn't know if they had guns. I didn't know if they had crowbars. I didn't know if there was one walking up behind me right at this time. But all I could think about in the moment after I said that was in the movie Tombstone, you know, and he goes, he ain't bluffing. He ain't bluffing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Curly Bill or uh, yeah, yeah. That was it. It was a uh, no. It was uh, it was the other one. It was the one that law don't go around here, law dog. Law yeah, don't go around here. <laughs> but it. That made me wondering what his name is. He was the coward. He always ran from him. Yeah, Dwight. I was, no, it wasn't Dwight. But anyhow, um, he went ghost white. And Did you draw when you said that. Did you draw. Oh, dude, I was I was a hundred percent drawn at this point. Yeah gun pointed at him he was sub 10 feet and the other guy was probably 15 feet away and i said that and he looked back at me and he he never even took a step or flinch he said get in the fucking truck get in the fucking truck he's serious and for an outcome to be realized that's as good as an outcome as i could hope for you know they they left me alone i didn't have to discharge my weapon um, I didn't have to go through the questioning myself internally as well as through the police. If I did fire that weapon and hurt somebody or kill somebody or whatever, I mean, it, it made me face a lot of questions that I had never dealt with on the other end of the gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's one yeah. thing to own a gun. It's one thing to go to the, to the range and shoot paper and, you know, even shoot li- like live action target type stuff. But, you know, there was a, a moment of consequence without consequence and that weighed on me for a while, man. It was a, it was yeah. a long two hour drive home at two o'clock in the morning with that weighing on me. And I, I didn't carry my gun for a couple of days just to give myself some distance from it. Like not to feel, I didn't want to let myself feel like a hero in that situation, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm like, how could I have gotten to this point without drawing my gun? How could I, cause I looked at it from all the angles, you know, because like I told you when I was down there, I listened to anybody's argument, anti-gun, pro-gun, whatever, but I gotta be sure I know what I feel about these things. You know, I don't yeah. want to, so man, uh, <laughs> you know, being on the other end of that, it was like, okay, this is a, this is a real serious thing here. You know, you, you put somebody's life in front of your right to carry that's some real serious weight but that being said i wouldn't have had my truck i possibly could have ended up hurt or worse and would have definitely had my atm card drained you know what i mean like yeah had i not had that firearm well so, and go ahead i mean well i was just gonna say and i mean and even though you know aggressive violence like just drawing drawing the gun and taking it to that point like you said uh 
I mean, if you had obeyed, just complied with them, yeah, like I said, you would have certainly lost your truck and some money. And in all reality, man, they probably would have, I mean, they, heck, like you said, they might have had a crowbar or something. You probably would not have gotten out of there unscathed. And uh, so just the presence of your firearm. And, uh, I mean, like you said, man, I mean, you're no you're no little pipsqueak either. And uh, so it kind of, I was kind of chuckling the whole time to myself thinking like, if I was going to ride around and look for somebody to rob or steal from, Brandon Lilly would not be on <laughs> Well, man, you know, it was just like, I, I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't express how chaotic it was. Um, you know, those girls were at all ends. I mean, you know how pumps are. There's like, I think there's uh, eight pumps there. So you've got like a, a rectangle of pumps. The, and the girls were just, they were at every pump. Like they were walking everywhere. They were going around and the guys were just kind of like circling and smoking and like, you know, him hawing around under the hood, shining their flashlight at me, shining under the truck. It was just, man, it was a lot going on in a very concentrated area. And like I said, I don't care who you are. I don't care. I don't care what you've been through. It was one of those situations. I mean, there I'm certain there are guys that, that would have handled it better than me or people that would have handled it better than me. But um, I think I did okay. Like I was, like I, I was consciously aware of not letting fear drive my behavior. You know, yeah. it was like, you don't want to get yourself in a situation where you're on your heels here and have to react rather than to think. And I always tried to stay between my truck and the door, kind of like a felony arrest situation where at least you've got some defense. I had the other door locked. I could see in front of me and I could see to my left behind me. So I felt pretty safe right there, but it was like, man, you get seven people on you. I don't care who you are, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, that's crazy. And I I actually thought you were going to reference another tombstone part when, uh, (laughs) when he says, uh, I think it's, I think it's Wyatt Earp, and he's like, you might get me, but not before I take yeah. out like two, two or three of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he said, I'm going to make a canoe out of your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that, uh, that's such a good movie, get, man. That's, that's what I'm saying, not to get off on a movie kick, which you know I can get off on a movie kick, but, dude, Tombstone, man. I watched it not too long ago. And I, I mean, watched I, it. I, watched it last night. Hey, there you go. But one of my favorites is uh, old. I think it's Billy Bob Thornton in there, and he's like, "Are you gonna skin that smoke wagon?" I love when he's like asking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude, I didn't know that was him for a long time because he was so overweight. Yeah, that's the biggest I've ever seen Billy Bob. I've never yeah, seen him like that. I love when he walks in the street and uh, Doc Holiday just tells him to put his rifle down <laughs> he leaves it he says thank you thank you <laughs> yeah. he, he is i guess at least smart enough to not be as like man that's bothering me now that i can't think of the other guy's name but he's he's the one he calls a cur he's like get out of here you cur because he literally runs in every gunfight um oh, dang I, it. I, i'm trying to i actually googled it right here trying to find it um Shit, he's one of the brothers. Yeah, the Billy Cowboys. Cl- Ike Clanton. Ike Clanton. That's who it Ike, is. That's it. Ike. I can hear him saying that. 
Yep. Holy <laughs> shit. That actor, he's crazy. This guy's been in a lot of stuff. So he was heavy. He was in that. He was heavy too. Um, in that movie? He, he was the general in Avatar. What? Yes. Ike? Yes. This, like big beefed up dude. And he's like got some, the, doesn't he have like big freaking arms in Avatar? Yep. And he was the, he was what? the, he was the corporal. No, he wasn't the corporal. He was the, he was the man in charge in hostels too. I remember I, whenever. I, what, I watched that. Uh, well, it's been probably a year ago, but. That's Do you remember when he guy. when he sent him when he sent uh, when he sent the main character up to uh, up to Montana to escort the the Native American family? That was yeah. him. Wow, dude, I did, that dude don't look anything like he did in <laughs> dude, He's he's ripped up now. I mean, he, he looks he looks awesome. Well, that's what uh, it. Uh, I remember in Avatar, the dude had some like huge arms or something in that movie, but that. I can't believe that's freaking Ike, man. I never would have seen that one. I wouldn't have either. I couldn't believe it. That's why I skimmed past him when I was looking at it, trying to be discreet about it. I was, I was rolling <laughs> through my phone trying to look and find it. But uh, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. But you know, what a what a great way to to start this. I hate to even call it an episode because it's a conversation. But um, man, I, I I want people to know about who you are because. You had a big impact on me when I was down there with you and, and just really getting to see what you're all about and seeing your farm and just hearing your take on life, man. I think, you know, you, I told you that I think you're one of the more unique people I've met in a long time. I think you've got a lot of interesting interwoven kind of highways with inside of you, you know, cause you are a farmer, you are very proud American, very, uh, very proud of your faith and Christianity. And, you know, you have strong beliefs, but you're also a person that we've, we've covered the gamut as far as conversation topics we've covered. And, yeah, you know, I, I just think that for, for people that, and I'm not trying to politicize this in any way, shape or form, but I think that there are people that would put you in a, in a classification that they don't really understand. And I think it's important for people to just start realizing you can't judge a book by its cover and you can't box somebody in just by one, one set of description. You know, um, you've got a lot of cool stuff going on and you're doing a lot of cool things. You, you've been in a movie with Luke Perry, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) you you got a pretty interesting background. That one took me for sure. You're, you're a bourbon guy. What are you drinking right now, by the way? I'm actually, in honor of this episode, man, I poured a glass of that Willet there that you hooked me up with. Oh, okay. How much are you enjoying that? Man, I like it a lot. And I like a, I'm even, at, and I don't say, I don't want people taking this as like I'm some alcoholic, but I, I'm kind of a bourbon snob somewhat. <laughs> and good, man. I, I tell you, it's really good. And uh, Well, now, I'll tell you what, here's the, here's the old saying. You can't be a snob about alcohol if you're an alcoholic. Hey, well, you'll there drink, you go. You'll, you'll, you'll drink it all. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> well, that's true, then. Then I feel yeah. better about it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no what, got you, what got you into bourbon? I'm drinking, uh, I'm having a Weller right now. Um, this one was a gift from a friend of mine. And, uh, huh? Is it the foolproof? It is. Nice. What is that, 107? Yes, sir. And then I've got the book, I've got two bookers, bottle and bond 
right here. I've got a Buffalo Trace that hasn't been cracked. The Four Roses and uh, Dickel. And then I got one more I can't see. But those are just downstairs. So I got some upstairs whiskeys too. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let me before let me ease into the bourbon by saying this. First off, man, I appreciate you having me on. It means a lot. And I, I, looking at myself, I don't see myself as like a really interesting person. So like, it means a lot that you say that because I mean, in my head, I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm just a little. I, I think I even told you, like, I'm just like a simple armor uh that has i do have a constant swirl of ideas in my head but i you know i don't see myself as really that interesting and um that's i don't know but i think it's part i think partly of your humility about and i'll just back up again too so you you and your father have separate farming operations but you are farmers you know you don't you don't battle each other. You're on the same team, so to say. You run yep. LH Farms, correct? Yep. And then you also have your own podcast. Tell people a little bit about that because it started out as just a hunting podcast, and then I think the best thing you ever did was evolve to talk more about who you are from all spectrums. But man, I do. that's uh now, and I do want to talk bourbon, so we'll get there because I definitely. <laughs> oh, we're getting there. Um, but, uh, the podcast, man, you know, uh, as, as who I am, I, I just have always been a guy that I can't just settle for something like it just not, it's not in me to settle and just float through. And, um, I don't know, man, I, I, as I told you, as a machinist for a while and, I felt like a caged animal um, because I'm, I was raised on a farm, grew up farming. And uh, when I was like 18, couldn't wait to get away from the farm. Like, I, I mean, I don't remember if I told you this or not, but that's what people were like, are you going to be a farmer? And I was like, hell no. The last thing I'm going to be is a farmer. <laughs> when, I, when I was a teenager, I, cause I did it all during the summer when my buddies were going out partying and getting wild, I was going home because I had to get up early and work the next day. So, man, I like all I ever did was work. I felt like, and so the last thing I was doing was farming and, uh, man, I just, I've had that creative spark. Um, (laughs) I did, I wrote a, I tried to find it the other day. Actually, I guess after me and you, after you left, it kind of got me, I went and looked, at my parents, I actually wrote, and I can't find it. I'd like to find it just to see how terrible it is. But I wrote like a forty-page mystery thriller. I don't know which just story. And uh, when I was like thirteen, and so I've always had that kind of creative spark. But yeah. coming from such a blue-collar background, I was like, that's kind of dumb, you know. Like in my mind, I was like, eh you know, creative, that's not, that's not the way it works. Well, it's, it's, not a seed. Like, it's not a seed. You don't see it grow. You know, yeah. it, it, it is in a way, but it's not tangible. You can't watch the process at every turn and you don't get a yeah. yield, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like this too. Uh, I had a guy I was talking to and we were kind of discussing that because uh, my dad always, <laughs> the creative thing is something he's never 
he has never really been on board with, wasn't a big fan of, uh, like, the film things and stuff like that. I mean, he hated when I had an agent. And um, I talked to a guy, it was actually one of my, or he is my preacher now. We were just talking about it, and I was telling him about it, and I said, uh, you know, kind of giving him the rundown on it. And he said, well, the difference is, and it's pretty much what you just said, but he goes, film or creative things, yeah, you can't, like, just see it. But he said, it'd be different if, like, the St. Louis Cardinals called and were like, we want you to come play baseball for us. He said, your dad would be pumped because right. it's a tangible thing. Like, you know, it's like, all right, I can see this. And, I mean, on the same side of that, if Steven Spielberg called me tonight and was like, I want you to come play the lead role in this movie. My dad would shit himself. Like he would be like, Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> right. Pumped. I mean, so, but it's just funny, you know, coming, like I said, from a blue collar background, I was like, ah, you know, so I, I just pretty much pushed that away. I did get to be in a film with Luke Perry. Um, I'm sorry. 90210 fans. He was not a very nice person. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> uh, well, we'll say at least the time that you were around, he wasn't nice. Hopefully, he was nice yeah, before he there passed. You go. But <laughs> there you go. Now, his, his stunt man was very nice. Um, he was really cool. But uh, I think I touched his arm. So, like, I, I got, we, we were pretty good friends. Um, but, anyways, uh, <laughs> I, I did did that and just kind of, you know, I, like I said, the crowd was the scene of it was a little different. I was pulling up and a, cause even with that creative side, I'm a, I guess I'm a weirdo, uh, because I like the creative stuff, but I've always loved my four wheel drive trucks with straight pipes, uh, <laughs> and grown in the woods. I mean, so like, I'm like a, well, uh, you're, you're touching on exactly why, I appreciate you very much. If you ever look at my, my group of like true, true friends, they're, they're a little bit of oxymorons in some way. They're a little bit of, uh, you know, the things that they like on one end usually don't gel with the other side of that coin in society, yeah. but, but somehow these people make it work. And that's the thing is like, I instantly saw that within you is, and I think a lot of people would call it a conflict, but for, for you and even myself, like, you know, I'm pretty transient as far as like my, I can be very hard and heavy on like Tyler Childers and, and underground type country music. And then like the last week, ever since I got back from down there, I've been listening to EDM, you know, like yeah. I just, I go all across the range of movies, books, you know, and I think that's given me challenges in this life at times because you can't box me in. And a lot of people try to, you know, box you into something, but I, I like people that you can't box in. I like people that you can't quite get your thumb on and just, you know, every time you talk to them, there's a little bit of a surprise in there, <laughs> yeah. you know, but that's the way, I mean, that's not just in friendships, you know, that's in a recipe. Like, you know, if you have something to eat and it's like, you can't quite put your finger on what it is, but something's really good about it. You know, I like those little surprises in life, man. It, it it keeps things interesting for sure. And I mean, shit, dude, we met on the internet. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it wasn't like we've known each other way back. It's like you reached out to me a year or so ago uh, to do a podcast. And I don't even know if it's been a year yet. But, you know, you reached me out, reached out to me to do an episode. And 
Uh, I noticed that you were getting your shirts done at Sornex and, you know, different things like that. Just kept my eye on you. Kept talking to you, kept finding out more things about you, hearing this about you, seeing your posts. And, man, it, it could not have happened more organically and just worked out better. Like one of those kind of diamonds in the rough situations for me where yeah. I thought it was going to be a good time. I thought it was going to be outdoors. But lo and behold, you get to meet this person who's just got a lot of really cool stuff going on. Well, man, like I said, it was, uh, for me, it was a cool, a cool realization, um, when you came down, because like I told you, man, you know, I, when I messaged you to come on the podcast and again, well, and this, got ties in with why I started a podcast. I, I like people. Like I, I just like people. I, I could talk like I could talk to the wall in my shop. <laughs> and, right. Uh, so I enjoy talking to people. And so, you know, I started the podcast and yeah, reaching out to you. I mean, ideally in my mind, I reach out to people that I'm like, who are people that I would like to connect with and, and like, just become friends with. I mean, that's kind of the way that I look at it. It's like, you know, I'm not going to ask somebody to come on my podcast that I don't have a desire to be their friend. And, uh, so having you on the podcast though, I, I still would not have said six months from now, uh, I'm going to be hanging out with this dude. He's going to come down and we're going to become good buddies and he's going to hang out and hunt with me. You know, I had no idea. And so then when you come, it's like, man, you know, when I, because when I started the podcast, like I told you, and overwhelmingly people have told me they enjoy it. Um, but with anything, people are gonna, there's gonna be some people that are gonna give you flack. And uh, there's been moments along the way that are like, let me kind of know that I'm on the right track. And that right there, that's a moment there. I'm like, you know, if I would have been too scared to started this, then. I would never have made the friend that I have in you now. And, uh, sure. I mean, like, and the, uh, there's several friendships, man. I'm like, now I'm like, you know, man, what a, I've met a great group of guys that I can truly call my friends just from podcasting. And I mean, I'm no Joe Rogan, <laughs> like, right. but it's, uh, I don't know, dude, it's been, uh, it's been cool. And, uh, and never anything I ever thought I would do. You know, I never was like, I'm going to be a podcaster. It's just something that happened. And part of why I do it, I actually was having this conversation with a guy tonight when we were coming back from that course I was telling you about. We were just, he said he listens and he enjoys it. He's got a, a good job. And, uh, but he was talking about, you know, he doesn't make a ton of money <clears throat> financially, but he does well. And, uh, is happy. He's really happy doing what he's doing. And I said, man, you know, part of what drove me to do the podcast, because when it started, I guess I should go back. It started out as American Huntsman um, because I'm huge into hunting. I love hunting again, which was the conflict with my like film, film crew that I would deal with that have like vegan stickers on their cars and I've got like blood still on the back of my truck from the deer that I killed. <laughs> yeah, I got a deer I got a deer out here waiting to uh get the back straps taken out of it and I'm gonna 
I am going to do the flip flop with it, but I, I totally know that world because uh, I pulled into the gas station. And I actually had some blood <laughs> running down the back of the, the truck, and it's just an unavoidable thing. It's not, you know, it's not a celebration. It's not grotesque in any way. It's just it's a reality of, of deer hunting. And this yeah. lady, this lady looked at me like, man, like I was some kind of savage, you know. And uh, I don't know it. It, it bothered me in a way, but I was kind to her and she was friendly back. And, you know, at least maybe I changed her first impression of who I am. <laughs> but, but yeah, sorry. To, sorry to interrupt you. There's a little, there's a no, little no. moment for you. <laughs> well, that, uh, that's, uh, I don't know, man. I tell you like nothing. When I see my tailgate bloody, it's like, it's a good sign. I'm like, man, you know, there's, there's food coming. And I had a success with it. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. Like, uh, blood on my tailgate is like it. It makes me happy in a weird way. Not like, yeah, I took the life of something, but like, hey, man, you know, it's, it's a mark of success. Like, uh, for me to do that um, or have it on there. But sure. uh, man, I just, uh, I don't know, dude. The uh, I, I actually. Trying to think now when I had when I had you on, man, I'd have to go back and look at the episodes. I think I had done had I it was already shifted. Was it shifted to living fully loaded at that point? I can't yes, remember. it was. Yes, it was. Okay. It had just it had just shifted actually. Yeah. Okay. You might have. I think you may have been the episode right after Jack Carr. Um, yeah, I think I was. I had uh, I had a gown. I'm not going to say well. It, all of them have been really, I've, I've enjoyed all of them, but, um, I was talking outdoors primarily and I enjoy that. I love it, but I wanted to be able to talk to anybody and, um, getting to meet some of the people and, uh, connecting with them. I, I finally was like, you know, I, I want to be able to talk to people like, you know, like movies or tech man. If a dude is a robotics engineer or something like have him on. I mean, he'd go way over my head, but have him on. And, uh, I could talk that and not be looped into just talking hunting. Cause there's a man, I love hunting, but my gosh, there's a million hunting podcasts out there. And yeah. I, most of them you listen to, they kind of travel a similar course. I mean, there's some that are really good and kind of changing things up. I don't want to lump all of them in there cause there's some really good ones and I'm not putting them down, but I like just conversation. Um, sure. I found that even the, even the other podcast, you know, some people gear their podcast as like almost like a question and answer, uh, type thing. And, and even try to pull certain like guiding lessons out of them, man, I just like organic conversation and where it goes, it goes. And that's where I took living fully loaded is what I went with. I was trying to think where, what's something that I like, I love, I like living fully. Like I said, my vision in life, I want to live my life fully. I told yeah. my wife, I said, I love guns. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, how can I, how can I tie the kind of, because I wanted to hit the creative mark. I feel like, and I'm not trying to like ramble to your audience here, but I wanted to hit that creative mark, but at the same hand have that kind of that testosterone punch that I feel like, like you were saying, it's a weird, I guess a weird oxymoron, like have that creative feel, but then the blue collar, like, I don't know, kind of 
ruggedness to it. So I was like living fully loaded, living life fully loaded. And I got the skull with the beard because I'm, I'm a bearded guy. And uh, a healthy man, beard. You got a it, healthy beard. <laughs> it, if, if I can do nothing else, I, I can grow a beard. Like that is one thing I, I can at least grow a beard. <laughs> well, so let's, let's circle back around. Cause you mentioned movies and that's something that you've been involved in and pursued at a, at a level of, of more than just casual interest. But one of the things that I noticed in your house and, uh, was that stood out to me most, you had a ton of DVDs, but the ones that were sitting on top were these old black and white horror films. And yeah. we went to eat at the Mexican restaurant there in town and it was delicious, by the way. Um, we got the chorizo <laughs> and the mar- what was it? The chicken margarita is what we got. Pollo with- margaritas. Pollo margaritas. Yeah, there you go. And uh, it was just, it was really, really good. God, that's like the most southern kentucky southern tennessee conversation was it the chicken margaritas <laughs> you, chicken you margaritas. <laughs> no mate you know it, it's called pollo margaritas and my dad when we go he goes almost the polo margaritas <laughs> <laughs> dude I've, I've seen it all at those restaurants but it was actually really really good and we got to talking about movies and and really the fact that you do love movies you're you're kind of a, a movie buff and you delve into them a little deeper than the average, the average person. And, uh, that's also something else that I've taken waves. Like I love movies so much. I've actually kind of had to distance myself from, from movies a little bit because there's only really one or two fantastic, well done movies made a year anymore, you know? And I just, I told you, you know, we got that old fashioned theater, um, they play a lot of relics. They play a lot of the older films and different stuff like that. I don't yeah, know if I ro- I don't I don't know if I romanticize those times because you know watching James Bond with my dad or watching westerns with my papa or you know I can remember watching Pretty Woman with my mom and aunt and having to put the blanket over my head when there were sex scenes and shit like that. You know, but movies yeah. have, movies have always kind of played a pretty cool background theme in my life like for whatever reason i can remember my dad taking me to see the first batman with michael keaton we yep. were hanging we were going out the airport road my dad was driving a 86 s10 he was hanging the curves like crazy listening to led zeppelin like oh yeah and i went to see that movie and it was just it was a treat you know it was something that really stood out to me that we didn't go to movies all the time Occasionally in the summer, we'd go to the drive-in. You know, if it was a really special movie, my mom and dad would both take me. I mean, they're still married and everything, but it just seemed like, you know, my mom didn't really have interest in movies unless it was something like Titanic. And I can remember, like, my mom freaking waiting in the movie line to go see that. And, you know, you can laugh at the movie or call it tchotchke or or whatever you want to say about it. But, dude, I, I can remember watching that as a kid, and I was fascinated with... The wreck I'd done like I was. It's funny that you said you did a forty-page paper on it because, and also funny that you're watching Last of the Mohicans. When I was ten years old, I think watching that movie, I was. Uh, my dad had a set of Encyclopedia Britannica, yeah, and I went in there and was looking up last, uh, you know, the Mohicans and the M's, and I found you know this like, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of 
the history on it, and then it kind of switched over into the novel. And then through the novel, I found some other tribes, and I, I found some other things. And it, it's really interesting. But I, I started writing, like, it probably wasn't 40 pages, but it was just like a research thing to show my parents at the dinner table. Like, look at all this stuff I found out about these Indians, and look at these these beads that they they collected and made jewelry out of and this kind of stuff. And I mean, I was always doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can remember when I watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the one with Kevin Costner. The good one. Yeah. I found out about Errol Flynn who played Robin Hood back in the twenties. I found out that he used a 170 pound draw English longbow in the film because he became, he became obsessed with archery. Um, after filming, I ain't never seen that one. Yeah, I think it is the original. Um, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of, uh, you know, Robin Hood men in tights, except not trying to be satire. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, it's unintentionally bad, but it, at the time it was awesome. And when I was a kid, I loved it. Like Errol Flynn was, was an Ernest Hemingway type, you know, just this yeah. playboy, you know, sail around the world, ride a motorcycle across Africa, you know, that kind of character. And then he played Robin Hood and he just, you know, I found him looking him up in the Encyclopedia Britannica too. So I don't know. We got a lot of similarities, man, but movies, movies being a, being a big connection point as far as that goes. And then I think I, I would, I would liken you to me in the sense that, man, when I get excited about something, I don't really know what to do. Like, I can't really contain myself. So I just do everything, you know, like yep. <laughs> when it's like, when I got my first bow, it was like, I don't know. I'm going to shoot paper. I'm going to shoot trees. I'm going to shoot <laughs> foam. I'm going to shoot. Like, I just wanted to shoot everything, you know, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any restraint on it because my excitement really outlasted or outclassed my planning. <laughs> That's the way most of my shit goes is it's like, Hey, I, I, I do so much. Every once in a while, I get a stroke. Of, get, I get a stroke of genius. If I'm yeah. just crazy and free enough, every once in a while, the good stuff will happen. <laughs> but that that's the that's the only way to be. Like I, I can't. I've tried to think about that because I, I have friends that will, if they start something or get into something, they like dip their toe in it. And I'm like, dude, freaking dive off in that, man. Like, come on. Like, I, I can't. I don't know. And, uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reckless. So I don't really know what you'd call it, but yeah, I just can't. And it's the same that I told you when I, when I set a goal or something, you know, some people are like, man, you know, uh, set some conservative goals or something, man. I'm like, I'm shooting for the stars. Um, that's just the way that I am. like, even, and with the podcast, the same, man, you know, like when I started, I mean, I'm like gunning for, for some of the bigger names, like right out the gate. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm just going, I'm going for it, which, you know, like I said, ideally is not the best way to do it because I'm still evolving as a podcast host, uh, on that. But at the same time, just the way my mind works, it's like, shoot, man, I'm going for Brad Pitt uh, on the next one, like a <laughs> <laughs> message, but, uh, dude, yeah, movies, man. And, uh, I don't know. And, and last of the Mohicans is funny when yeah, I watched it just the other night. That's, that is, if I had to, to rate that film, it's, it is, it's in my top five, um, 
I told my wife, I said, and some people probably won't care that much for this because they don't like him. Some people still don't like him. I told her, I said, if Mel Gibson was in Last of the Mohicans, and this would be probably my favorite movie because <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, my my number one films are really tied between two total opposite like type films. But the first one is Young Frankenstein, and it's tied with Braveheart. And uh, my second one would be The Patriot, and. So I don't and and I love Mad Max. I'm like, I must I must have like a man crush on Mel Gibson or something. But <laughs> like, if he well, would have been last of the Mohicans, he'd, it'd have been even further up the list. <laughs> well, I can remember my dad, you know, watching all the Lethal Weapons. Um, <laughs> you know, that was that was the kind of stuff that my dad was into. The Diehards. Um, what was the one that uh, Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah, those those kind of movies. Um, of course, all the Schwarzenegger, Stallone stuff. Uh, now, who were you? Were you a were you a Stallone man or a Schwarzenegger man? So when I was a kid, it, it kind of flip flopped. When I when I was a kid, I was a hundred percent more into Rocky than anything else. Like, dude, literally thought I was going to be world champion boxer. Like, yeah, didn't take a boxing class, didn't have a boxing gym to go to, but by God, I ran and I punched shit, you know, like <laughs> I would just, just run it out in my neighborhood. Just like I had that stupid song in my head, getting stronger. <laughs> like I was just <laughs> I swear. right there, man. You already, you already were not going small you were like this is it i'm gonna be the next big name man <laughs> well i'll tell you I, I was a psychopath as a kid so the the road that i lived on was two miles and like it was just a big perfect circle and the, the drive that i lived on was called apache drive dude i created a race with two of my friends that were both idiots as well called the tour de apache and it was a hundred laps around this thing oh. Crap. Dude, it ended up taking us like three days. <laughs> you know, just like because I had a rule I had a rule that I had to be in, you know, for dinner, and then I had a rule that I had to be in uh, once the sun hit the top of this hill, I had to be in, you know, yeah. or heading home towards that time. Yeah. And you know, they had different rules, like I think they had to do uh, like constructive homework or some kind of like constructive learning every night. So it, we had to break it up over a couple of days, but nevertheless, mm -hmm. like we were always into that kind of stuff. And you know, not to, not to shy away from, and make this all about me, but it, uh, I've always truly, truly believed that I was, I was born for something, you know, I'll just yeah. put it that way. I don't know. I don't necessarily believe in a predetermined destiny as far as I think we live life and we can take different roads that actualize different potential destinies. So, you know, but I think I was born with certain gifts that gave me certain opportunities that allowed me to feel and believe in certain things. And one of those things being from the time that I was small, like there was never, I didn't want to just play little league baseball. I wanted to go to the majors 
when I got a motorcycle, I didn't just want to ride it. I wanted to, to learn how to race, you know, like everything that I've always pursued has always been at a level of elite. And yeah. I think, I think while that, that side of the blade is wonderful because a lot of times I get really, really good at a lot of stuff where I've, I've gotten really far into a lot of things. But the other side of that is I never let myself enjoy being an amateur. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I never let myself just celebrate the small victories or the fact that I'm climbing the mountain. I haven't, I haven't gotten on top of it yet. You know, I never let myself just celebrate the fact that I'm doing something. You know, I I think about that a lot. I've talked to my wife a little bit about that because I'm, I'm kind of, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, it's, I just, I don't know what it is. It's never, and I'm, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm thankful for it, but I never reach a moment of like satisfaction, uh, or like complacency. Like even, I mean, with my little podcast, it's growing, uh, and I'm, I'm seeing the numbers grow on there. But I don't know when I'd see a number that I'm like, that's good. Like, I'm happy with that. Like, and anything in my life, I mean, like, even as a farmer, I see that in, on my ground, like my yields, I'm doing things to help my yields. And I'm still like, I'm not happy with where they are. I mean, I'm a happy guy. Like, I don't want people to take this as like, I'm never happy. Like, I'm a, annoying my wife. I'm so happy. Like, Sure. I, you heard her at dinner there. She was like, he wakes up happy. Like, she's like, it drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I'm just, I'm a happy person because I choose to be. That's one of the things that frustrates me. Uh, people, man, you, the power is really in our hands. Uh, and that's something that I've come to realize is, man, we control a lot of stuff that we just don't think about, I guess. I mean, because realistically your attitude is determined by no one else, but yourself. And I, I, I read that book, um, as I think it's, it's Victor Frankel. Is it as a man thinketh? It's the, yeah. Yeah. Yep. When he was in the Holocaust and that's what he said in there. I, I butcher his quote, but it's like, um, something along the lines of the one freedom that like can never be taken away from a man uh, actually, there you go. I actually had it wrote down right here in my, in my shed. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And I love that quote because it's like, no matter what crap you're going through or how boring your life feels or something you choose how you respond and how you feel like nobody else. Like even the person, like if there's a person putting you down, they're trying to cut you down so that you're in the same miserable place they're in. So just don't let them do that. Don't give them that. And, uh, that's something like I've gotten to, I just, I don't know, man, I just choose to be happy. I mean, like I told you, my, my lower back, I've got issues there. I could, I could gripe and get down about my back every day. Like I see people bend over with 
like no back pain and they're in like terrible shape and it makes me mad sometimes. I'm like, you've <laughs> yeah. got a good back <laughs> and yeah. you're out of shape. I wish that I could give you my back and you give me yours. <laughs> like, oh yeah. And so, I mean, you know, there's, but like you see stuff and it's like, man, you, everybody has something going on. Like there ain't a person out there that don't have something going on and weighing on them or something but just choose to be happy. And a point that you said too, you talked about when you were a kid and y'all did things. One of the things that I think has kind of stayed with me or that I have either essentially kind of rekindled in myself is uh, be a kid. Like I, I think about that. I actually wrote that down on my little notepad when you were talking about being back when you were a kid. And I, I just wrote down, be a kid because it makes me think like, you know, when we're kids, I mean, you know, as a kid, you said you watched Rocky and you were like, I'm, I'm going to be the next, like Rocky, the next champion. And I remember as a kid, one of the things I liked, I actually liked making little short movies with my buddies and we had a camera and I got like, play the, play the lead part, man, and do stuff like that. And I always saw myself like as that. And as I got older and as most people get older, the, that kid, spirit like it like gets buried and uh man i don't know dude uh i told you as a farmer i'm on a tractor a lot i mean 10 12 hours or more a day sometimes that's a lot of thinking time and uh I, one of the things that i told my mom or my wife was because i would sit there and just daydream on the tractors all day I mean, obviously I'm having a, you know, I'm, I'm aware of what I'm doing, but I've got a really vivid imagination and I could think of these elaborate and music is one of the things that appeals to me a lot because I can build a scene in my head to music. Uh, I'm not by any means saying I'm a, like a Spielberg or uh, Ron Howard or nothing, but I'm, I can build scenes in my head. I can like see them in my head. My imagination is that, is that vivid. And, uh, I just feel like I was given this imagination for more than just a daydream. Oh, so, for sure, I, man. Well, listen to this. This I cannot recall the theory, and I cannot recall the the person that was saying it. But I know this is factual, um, or at least factual as far as my understanding of truth. There was a professor that came to speak at convocation at the college I went to every Thursday. We had unique speakers from different backgrounds. We had Bobby Seal, who was the one of the founding members of the the Black Panthers, who had, you know, gone through fighting racism with extreme measures and telling yeah. the good, the bad, the in between of that. And then, you know, later in his life, he tried to approach things from a more, you know, from like a legislative standpoint, from doing community work and those kind of things. Uh, and here in his journey. We had people yep. uh, from India that had talked about bringing water to villages and so on. But this this guy, he was uh, talking about the, the the makeup of the brain and the way that it works. And he said, you know, imagine your brain being like a computer. He said it essentially is. It's one of the greatest computers in the world. He said, imagine, you know, when you go to download uh, a song on the Internet and the Internet's slow. The whole system can crash because this one thing is bogging it down. And he was like, you know, what does a fighter do 
in the boxing ring when he's getting beat up. He just he just clamshells up and takes the blows and tries to absorb as much as he can, but it's not really fighting back, you know? Yeah. And he yeah. said, when you put the brain in the modern world with constant bombardment where the one thing that really ties us down the most, social media, is also connected to the same device that connects you to reality, which is like the text messages and the phone calls from your friends and family. You know, you're at this, you're at this stage of like, you know, your credit card uh, bill comes to your phone, your emails come to your phone, your text messages come to your phone. So your brain never really has its chance to, to keep elasticity. It's never necessarily fighting back against what it's absorbed or processing what it's absorbed because it's constantly taking on. So an individual like yourself that gets 10 or 12 hours in a tractor or like me, that every single day I'm alive, I'm driving two to three hours uh, throughout the course of my day, you know, at minimum, sometimes much longer than that. Yeah. I told, what, what did I tell you on the way down there? I didn't listen to a thing. You know, yeah. I, was, I had pure silence. And I don't do that on purpose. It's like I'll be listening to a song or listening to a podcast or something. Somewhere along the way, it's like I just get zoned in on the road. I turn that shit off, and my brain takes over kind of decluttering whatever's going through there. Because, man, I, I wish that I could understand my brain at a level more than just feeling it. Like if I could yeah. just look at how my brain was working and the – the interconnected highway that it is because sometimes, like I told you, there's some days that I'm certain that I'm wired to do amazing things and I'm wired to see them through and to, to really have a life that matters. And then there's some days I don't feel like I'm ever going to be able to connect those dots whatsoever. And it drives me crazy. Like, I mean, some days I feel absolutely like just running my head into a wall because I can't get from one side of thought to the one side of created reality. You know, do you ever is deal with any of that creative stuff? Mind? That's what I was going to say. Is, is that a creative mind or something? Because, uh, dude, that's, that is me. And, and a lot of times, like I struggled for a long time to figure out how to, I guess almost, solidify i don't know if that's the word i'd want to say but like turn or turn into reality what it is that i'm after and a long time there was like what am i after no i thought that forever it's like you know what am i after because i mean man i don't know like i said i love movies um i've always loved them i and i love i love farming i love being outdoors i love getting to take part and planting the field and watching the crops and all this. But part of me thinks that's, uh, I wonder if that's some of that creative mindset, because I mean, man, I know people that, and it's, this is in no way negative to them, but I just know people that they don't think deeply on things and they, mm-hmm. they do their job and they go home and they're satisfied and that's, that's their life. And that's, that is 100% a okay. Like that's fine. I mean, if you're, I want people genuinely to be happy in their life. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like we see so many miserable people and no, dude, I was with you, man. I, I still am all the time. Yeah. Like there's days and like, 
like I say, you just want to bash your head against the wall because you're like, where is this going? Like, what or what am I doing here? How do I make sense of what my mind, where it's trying to lead me? And yeah. kind of mm-hmm. going, going into this podcast, um, I was the world's worst. One of the things I would do was essentially paralysis by analysis. Like, mm-hmm. I could dream huge. I mean, dream as big as possible. And then I would be like, how do I start? Where do I start? <laughs> yep. I mean, and uh, I feel like that's the one downside to dreaming big is if my goal is to write the next, like, blockbuster Last of the Mohicans, how do I start as a farmer in Munford, Tennessee? Like, so, you know, it. I think people do that. And I, I actually see this. And you can probably really, I'm sure you see it a thousand times more than I do, but with working out, man, I, there's people that they're trying to get in shape and they make them a workout and they're not working out at all. And they're like, you know, wanting to lose a hundred pounds. So they make them a workout plan and it's seven days a week and it's like a two hour workout every day. And then it's this crazy diet packed on top of it. And they're like, I'm going to start Monday. I'm going to work out two hours every day for seven days a week, never taking a break. Like, I'm going to do this. And it's like, so you're going to go from zero to a thousand and like, like that. And I mean, and I'm like, we were saying my personality, I'm kind of that way, man. Like I'm going to overkill. Like I want to, if, if I can get a hundred horsepower out of something, I want 200 horsepower out of it. So, I mean, mm. I get it, but people a lot of times do that and then they never start because it's like they get in there and it's like, holy crap. Like they maybe write the workout down on the whiteboard or, uh, you know, or they want to write something and they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to write five pages today in a, on this paper. And then it's like, man. So one thing that I've kind of started to try to do is, just start like yeah that, that was how with this podcast i had no idea anything about podcasting uh i just i knew that i wanted to do something and finally got the balls to do something i mean that's what it boiled down to i just said you know I'm, i want to do something and so i just freaking started it and uh <laughs> you know if i if i quit today um, I still would consider it a success because like I said, I've made great friends through it. Um, sure. I have no intention of that. I'm, I enjoy it. I want to keep doing it, but I just don't, I want people to start. And that's what like kind of the philosophy behind it all. <clears throat> something that does push me. I mean, I have, I have two, I have twins. I have uh, Levi and Emerson. They'll be three in February. And, uh, you know, I see them and they, they see me and like, I want them to see me not have that fear to go after whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, because if your parents, man, if, if you have parents that are like bold to go after something, it, it like really emboldens you because like, that's like, man, and that is one thing I'll say, like my mother has always 
kind of like you said, you felt like you were meant to do something more. She actually, for some reason, she was like, I feel like you are. She said, there's something about it. And it wasn't in like a, like, superstar kid way where she's like, you're going to be the special one. Like, you know, like this kind of thing. Yeah. But it was just, I've got, for some reason, she was like, I just feel like you're called to do something more. And, um, man, it's, uh, I don't know, man. Life just, like I've said, I told you when you were here, you know, life has a really interesting way of working out. It does, man. And, you know, I think that a lot of it stems from two things. Uh, one, you, <laughs> there again, it's an oxymoron, right? One is the jump. Whenever you feel that calling, whenever you feel that desire, you know, to do something or to create something or to start something, I almost all the time tell everyone to jump. But yeah. at the other side, at the other side of the coin, it's kind of like go with the flow. Don't fight so much. And really, if you break it down, they might be the same things because going with the flow might be jumping, you yeah. know, but, but I think you have to be calculated about it. I mean, I think you can jump too fast. You know, I, I think you ought to jump after some consideration, but if it keeps gnawing at you, that might be a better way to put it. Like if, if something really just keeps sticking with you and lingering with you probably ought to do it because you're just going to regret yeah. it or, to or torture yourself until you do, you know, that's absolutely. And that is a, that's a, a perfect way of describing kind of that, I guess, creative fire in me. Um, mm -hmm. When I was a machinist, I would feel it in my chest like every day. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time I always, I've equated it to film because that's what, you know, like I said, when I was 18, I was like, I want to be in the movies. Um, and try pursued that. Um, never, I, I will say at the time then I didn't have the balls to go all in because I was going to move to California and, uh, had lined up potential apartments and I candied out before I went. I was just like, ah, you know, I just can't do it. And, uh, didn't go, which I'm thankful because, uh, you know, I'm very blessed with my family that I have. I, if I had gone to California, who knows what would have happened. Um, mm -hmm. but man, it's just, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's interesting how it all, how it all runs down because I did always, I buried it. Like I saying, I buried that in my chest. Like I never, I even watching movies, man, you know, like I love, like you're talking about Braveheart, Last Mohegan. I love those movies. It almost got to a point where it was even hard for me to watch those movies. Um, mm -hmm. Because in my chest, I'm like, man, man, you should be, why aren't you doing something? Like, why aren't you pursuing, like, burning that creative fire? And uh, it wasn't that I was watching it like, I should be that guy on the screen, you know, but it was just that creative fire burning. Sorry, what were you going to say? Well, no, I was just going to ask you if you'd ever read any Cormac McCarthy stuff. I mean, you know, he did No Country for Old Men. He did The Road. And he I read he, more art. Didn't he write that? No, that was Pressfield. That was Stephen Pressfield. That's right. Um, no, um, I love No Country for Old Men, the movie. So you need to read Cormac McCarthy. He's a Tennessee author. 
Um, think, yes, sir. And I think he is. Uh, let me see. I know that um, doing a little Google here. I'm, I'm being my own young Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have my my young Jamie yet either. <laughs> yeah, but he. Um, yeah, he does. 10 novels, two plays, two screenplays, and three short stories spanning the Southern, Gothic, Western, and post-apocalyptic genres. I believe well, I he's... Love, I love No Country for Old Men, but I didn't know he was from Tennessee. That's pretty cool. No, so, okay, I'm sorry. He He's from Rhode Island, but he had something about Tennessee. There's a tie to him there. But anyhow... He's a guy that kind of struck me in the realm of, of you as, as far as um, there's some complexities to you that I don't even think. I mean, there's no way I can know after two days, but just yeah. the just the things that that you shared with me. The young Frankenstein was one that kind of made me like perk up a little bit like, OK, this guy's a little different than seeing the horror films that you had. And I, and I mean that in the best way, because, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't like you were on an audition to be my friend or anything. like It wasn't anything like that. But it's just like you meet you meet people or I meet people all the time. And they're fine people. They're good people. They're who they say they are online and that kind of thing. But that's just really all they are. There's there's nothing behind the scenes, so to say, you know, and it's yeah. very easy to tell you're a farmer, you're a hunter, you're a family man and, and so on and so forth. But really getting to kind of see the way that your brain works on a few things, the way that you think about things and look at things. And, you know, it, it just gave me reason to pay more attention to more about who you are. And um, but Cormac McCarthy, man. I, let me hear just a second. I know this is kind of weird for a podcast, but um, I really don't care. <laughs> it's, I want to read this. I want to read this quote because. So he was good friend, or he was a uh, my good friend Terrence who passed away October twenty seventh. Um, yeah, he was his favorite author, and really, I had read The Road and I'd seen No Country for Old Men, and Terrence kind of rejuvenated me to read his stuff. Um, and one of the things that, well, this quote was the one that's like, you know, the bumper sticker or whatever kind of quote. But he says, "You never know what worse luck your bad luck has saved you from." I love that line. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see. Is that from No Country for Old Men? It is. Yep. And then. Almost. And they even say that in the movie. They do, I think. Um, But just the way this guy writes. So check this out. The truth about the world, he said, is that anything is possible. Had you not seen it all from birth and thereby bled it of the strangeness, it would appear to you for what it is. A hat trick in medicine show, fever dream, a trance be populate with chimeras having neither analog nor precedent. An interior carnival, a migratory tent show whose ultimate destination after many a pitch and many a mud field is unspeakable and calamitous beyond reckoning. The universe is no narrow thing, and the order within it is constrained by any latitude in its conception to repeat what exists in one part and any other. Even in this world, more things exist without our knowledge and with it, and the order in creation which you see is that which you have put there, like a string in a maze so that you shall not lose your way. For existence has its own order, and that no man's mind can compass, that mind itself being but a fact among others. Thanks. Dude, that's 
That's some like deep stuff there. That's like, I feel like that's a book you'd have to read a couple of times. Well, everything that he does, I, you know, I fully happily admit that I will read it and then support my reading with the audio book. And it's, it's usually one or two chapters at a time. All right. he, He wrote Blood Meridian. Blood Meridian. That's that novel takes place in Tennessee. Um, okay. But yes, that novel. I started it. Like I said, it, it was one I I started. I'm I'm really bad about starting a book and then getting sidetracked and like yep. going to a different book. And uh, that was one because it was a very. It's written at a high level. Uh, oh, like, for sure. Just like what you read. I mean, you know, he's a. You know, he's a high level writer. And uh mm-hmm. so it was a book that I couldn't kind of just but I'm I'm gonna try what you do, like you were just saying, and go with pair the book with the audio book. Yep. Well, here's the thing, man. I look back at a, a paper that I wrote when I was in college and it was like I couldn't hardly like I almost thought I plagiarized it. <laughs> like it was it was so good. <laughs> but the thing about that is I was, I mean, I was an English major in college. Yeah. So I was reading like amazing, powerful, descriptive blood flowing through pen kind of writing at this point in time. I had an amazing professor, Dr. Phil English probably changed the entire course of my life and definitely deepened the way that I think uh, yeah. he was also, he was also the one that got me in theater. Um, he had me do he so the thing with him he would take students he was the anti-theater director so he was like we're not gonna do the the, you know fiddler on the roof we're not gonna do that kind of bullshit we're gonna do heavy stuff and he would find these monologues and there's this guy named eric bogosian and uh he's been in law and order he's a he's like a perennial just like secondary actor he's been in a million things probably the best living monologue artist alive today in my opinion um he had this he had this monologue called sea shoes and it was about these two brooklyn gangsters teaming up on this young kid and stealing his shoes and that was one of the roles that i got to do was this hey 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 slow down kid you know hey let me check those shoes out you know like let me take a look at those shoes you know uh where'd you get those shoes at you get those on fifth street you get those on fifth street kid because look at those you know it's one of those kind of deals and yeah i'm up here on the stage doing this thing and he would he would never let us pick what we did he would like have us read five six seven eight nine ten things and he was like when i feel you reading it i'm never gonna let you do it but when i feel you that's you so you know it was just this weird experience and i think what you said about mccarthy being a high level writer dude if you're this creative bug if you're this guy that has this stuff inside of you and it it's discombobulated or it, it doesn't feel like it comes out right like i've been doubling down on authors that write in a way that perplex me because if i can figure it out then my writing is going to get a little bit more edge to it. You know, it's going to give me a little more chew when I'm reading it. So I would challenge you, man, like 
just in the same way that you can watch a movie and dissect it and be like, man, this director was doing this or this director was doing that or the screenplay was good or the, the, the writing was excellent. I think the more good stuff that you see, like even if you become the average of all that good stuff, you're still probably better than if you just sit down and listen to the, the radio. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. it's uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And I, I think we know that like the five people that you surround yourself with are the one that you become like, you know, like why would the information that we digest not become what we become more like? Dude, and that, that right, that quote is a huge one to me. Uh, that, that one quote played a pivotal part in me starting the podcast. Sure. Uh, that you just, that one you just said, because uh, if, when I do a podcast, uh, I'm, I'm doing this much for myself as I am for my listeners, you know, mm-hmm. having people on, like, I, I want them to, I'm, I'm gaining from my, my guests. So that's, that's what I like. I'm putting those people in my core. So that's, that's cool. You mentioned that. And, and I'm, it's really neat. Again, it is funny to hear the similarities because you talk about your theater teacher mm-hmm. or your, your uh, English instructor there. Um, I had, uh, my theater teacher when I was younger was, was very similar to that. It sounds like his name was Mr. Mr. Hammonds, David Hammond. And, uh, man, he was hardcore. Like I remember, and, and it's funny, I went to a private school where, uh, it was really small. I had like 47 people in my class that graduated and the football players also were in the theater place. Like, I mean, you know, it wasn't, uh, I mean, it just, we didn't have enough people. So everybody was in everything. And, um, man, Mr. Hammonds, I'll never forget because theater going into it, you know, I was like, this is kind of just for fun. The first play I think I ever did with him was the crucible, um, which watching it, I, God puts me to sleep. It's so boring. Um, but being in it was pretty cool. Cause you know, it's, it's about the Salem witch trials and, uh, it was it was pretty heavy, but we did one called Doctor Gorilla and Me. I don't know if have you ever heard of that. No. <laughs> it is. I wish I could find it. I had it on DVD when I did it. Uh, it's and and I like me and you talked. We had lunch that day. I don't know what it is. Um, I love dark film. Like I told you, you know the Christopher Nolan Batman's. Uh, Logan, the new Wolverine. I mean, it's got a, it's got a great name for a film. So, I mean, it's already doing really good right there. Um, but, uh, but, uh, (laughs) and I don't, I I love those, the dark stuff. And, and that's why I like, and, and I'm, I love humor as well. So young Frankenstein is like kind of the best of both worlds because it's dark and funny. And Mm -hmm. Dr. Gorilla and me is kind of, it's in a lot of similarities like young Frankenstein. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't your typical, like I, ne- I have never heard of another school doing Dr. Gorilla and me. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't your typical stuff, but I, that's the stuff I like. Um, yeah. I was in Greece. Um, and, but it was cool because Mr. Hammonds actually was, he was pushing me, to go to college for theater. And I didn't know why. Like, I was like, man, you know, just like with, I, I don't see 
any area of like excellence in myself. I just don't, I don't see where I excel in any area. Like I, I'll examine myself and I'm, I think I'm, I, I feel like I'm an average guy. And okay, uh, let me, let me ask you this clear. It's for clarification purposes. Okay. Do, do you feel like other people tell you that you exceed, but you always feel like you fall short or is it just like most people would classify you the same as you're classifying yourself? Like, yeah, he's just an average guy. Uh, man, I don't know. I people, uh, people have told me that I am doing really good and things and stuff like that. I mean, that's like as far as let's say writing, for example. I I can remember in the well, I read your course. piece that you wrote for your deer. Yeah, and seeing, I don't feel like that was very good. Um, I didn't think but, it was you know, that great. You know, there's a difference. It, you know, it, it wasn't going to be like this thing that, that wins, you know, a writing prize, but it was an honest retelling. And I don't mean to yeah. diminish what you're saying at all or what you, what you wrote at all or what you're saying at all. I mean that, like, for me, I can tell when a story has been written versus when a story has been told. And yeah. You told the story and you wrote that down. And as a deer hunter, as a hunter, I appreciate that in that capacity so much more than when it becomes a story for the sake of a story. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I'm with you there. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. But that, you know, I, I can recall and it's kind of, I told you when you were here, I've had some moments in my life where I'm like, Maybe this is a sign uh, that I'm that I'm moving in the right direction. When I was in like the the fourth or fifth grade, I I always was the kid. Whenever the teacher was like, "We're going to do a creative writing assignment," and everyone was like, "Oh no!" I was always like, "Yes!" And like <laughs> I enjoyed it. Book and, reports uh, are my favorites. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Now, not book reports. No. no <laughs> oh, that was me. <laughs> I, see, I never read the book. That's when my mom, like, she gained some gray hairs from my lack of studying or reading. <laughs> like, I like to read, but it was whatever I wanted to read. Uh, okay. Like, I'm, I'm annoyingly, to an annoying degree, one of those people where if someone's like, you have to do so-and-so, then I'm like, all right, then I'm not going to do that. Like if okay. someone like is telling me to do something, I, I told you, you know, I, I marched the beat of my own drum to an mm-hmm. annoying degree. Um, but, uh, man, I had a teacher, it was in like the fourth or fifth grade. I remember we had to write a story and I can still kind of vaguely remember it. And I've got one terrible memory. So it's funny to me that I can remember it, but, uh, we had to write a story about this, this girl they're like treasure hunting or something and they go down underwater and the story kind of bridges off and you get to, you got to finish the story. And I was like, Oh man, this is awesome. So I wrote this elaborate story. She like gets her arm caught and all this. And it was real dramatic and this build up. And my, my teacher in like the fourth or fifth grade, he said, you're going to make movies one day. And, uh, I just remember that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, at the time I was probably like picking my nose or something, like not really thinking. Anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, but like, why do I remember that? 
And uh, I think about that. And then in the seventh or eighth grade, we had to write another one, uh, another creative story. And I like would go all out, man. It'd be like this real action packed, crazy, like John Wick type stuff. Uh, and she was like, this sounds like a movie. And um, I remember that. And so then when I got into high school, and was doing the plays. I mean, Mr. Hammonds was hardcore, man. I remember some people couldn't remember their lines, and he grabbed a chair and, like, launched it across the gym. And I was like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, but part of me was like, this is legit, because if somebody thinks, like, this theater guy is soft, he just launched a chair across this garage, like, or a uh, uh, gym. He was, like, freaking launching. I mean, going nuts in there. And, uh, <laughs> Like Bobby Knight. <laughs> yeah, dude. Dude, I liked it. I was like, this is this is cool right here. Um but he was urging me to go into film or uh to study theater. And I'm I'll be totally honest, I don't give a freaking jack crap about doing theater. Theater or let me rephrase that, Broadway. Like Broadway stuff does not appeal to Musicals. me at all. Yes, I don't like them. I, I was in Greece my senior year, and it was fun because it was Greece, and it was real, you know, it's real upbeat, and I am one shitty dancer, and I had to learn how to dance. Uh, <laughs> so it was a really fun challenge for me, but I don't like musicals. I like dark uh theatrical stuff another one i don't know if you're into uh much like listening to theater but i listen i like old-timey radio um do you, i don't know do you ever listen to anything like that well it's funny that you say that because don drysdale was a was a baseball player and he was an announcer and i used to listen to old baseball games i was i was fanatic about statistics when I was a kid about baseball stats, about records, about yeah. you know, Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, that, I mean, like, I don't want to call it the golden era of baseball because there's a lot of great baseball, but, you know, the the turn of the century up into, we'll say, World War II, that, that era of baseball was just unbelievable. Then the 50s and the 60s, Koufax, you know, just – so much good stuff. I would listen to those games. And then yeah. through that, I started finding old basketball games like George Mikan and shit like that. Then I really, really freaking got into um, 80s basketball radio, <laughs> listening to old games and stuff. So not necessarily in the same context, but my dad was a big Dragnet guy. So oh, yeah. we we would listen to Dragnet um like he had records and he had tapes that he had made from records and old episodes like that. So yeah, like we used to listen to Kay with Ledford call UK basketball games and mute the television. So I've always had an, an, a, an appreciation, I guess, for the fact that you can't see what's being described. I, I want to talk to you about that, about a, about a really good TV show in a second, but keep going with what you were saying. Well, I was going to recommend if you like that. There's a there's a skit radio thing called Seven Keys to Ball Debate. Have you ever heard of that? Uh. Well, it's uh, it's actually about a guy trying to write 
a movie. He's trying to write a screenplay, and it's it took place back in the oh man, this was probably in the fifties era. And I think I, I stumbled upon it on like iHeartRadio when I was a machinist. And um, when I was a machinist, I wrote my first screenplay. Uh, I wrote my first feature length screenplay. Um, but I was listening to Seven Keys to Bald Pate. And like I said, I just stumbled upon it. And it was just this old theatrical uh, version of it. And it's about a guy who goes to write. He's got like 24 hours or 48 hours to write a screenplay. Um, I wish I could remember the guy's name because it's it was a he was a big name in old Hollywood, and um, he was going to write the screenplay for this guy, and he goes to this cabin where he's going to try to write, and he's only he's supposed to have the only key there, and the cabin is at Bald Pay or whatever. Well, then there's like supposedly this ghost in the cabin, and then like these mobsters show up in the cabin, and it's kind of like this just it's a funny. Like it's comedic, uh, but all these people end up having all these keys to this cabin where he's at. And it's just a, it was a really enjoyable thing. Like, I don't know. It kind of, it, it pulled me in when I listened to it. I've listened to it like three or four times now, uh, since then, but I was just going to recommend if somebody enjoys kind of the funnier old time radio, seven keys to bald paint is pretty pretty enjoyable if you get a chance to listen to it well you know and that's something else too um you know i can remember those old you know kind of like the the comedy records that we would listen to when i was a kid with my great grandparents you know like they would have they would have these just off the wall comedians i mean they were they were kind of hokey and they were southern kind of campy but they were yeah. funny, you know. You'd see them at like a bluegrass festival or something like that. Like, and, uh, yeah, hee haw. I mean, that's a perfect example. You know, yeah. many, many times we had hee haw records <laughs> and would listen to that. God Almighty, you brought out you brought out the Kentucky and me tonight. <laughs> Damn, talking hee haw. But uh, it was, but I was <laughs> and the Statler brothers and Ray Stevens. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so who I was going to ask you about in the terms of like a guy that I think has really blended that well um, is Kerry Fukunaga. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't know. He was, he, he was the director of True Detective season one. Okay. And what I love, have you watched the episode? Have you seen that season? I have seen like the first two episodes. Of oh it. my God, Kevin, dude. Kevin Bacon. Oh, oh my God. Kevin. No, no, it's uh, Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson. Okay. Yeah, I did. I I think I watched the first two episodes of that. Is oh pretty- my, you got it. This is like, oh, it hurts my soul that you haven't watched it. Um, <laughs> it's It literally, to me, is some of the best writing, some of the best acting, some of the best films. And what I love about it is it is all wrapped up in this really, really just heinous child trafficking drugs. You know, there's just a lot of really graphic content. And yeah. there is some there is some graphic sex scenes, but as far as like the the, the crime related imagery is all suggestive. 
You know, it's like yeah. there's something just around the corner, but you can just see the shadow of what's around the corner. You never see it. Um, when this person's body has been murdered and mutilated, you can't, you, you don't see the mutilation, you just see the suggestion or the blood trail. And I think <laughs> much like radio, what happens in those type of situations, and it, it really came to light with the movie It, it becomes whatever you fear. You know, yeah. whatever the other side of that wall, we're, like, we're not going to see the director's representation of what it is because to us, it might be like, oh, my God, get the fuck out of here. This is stupid. But if it's we're fun. left to if we're left to imagine it, well, then it's the things that go bump in the night. You know, it's yep. the things that we fear. And that's what I think radio did such a great job of. We would listen to Alfred Hitchcock. That's what I was trying to think of, too. We would listen to Alfred Hitchcock uh, records when I was a kid. And um, But I thought, I thought the directing on that front was amazing because it really drew you in at another level because not only are you getting the visual, but you're having to fill in the blanks, too. You know? Yeah, I like that, and I, I miss that element because that's – and that is one thing I'll say – uh, and I don't mean this in any way to sound like, like a, like a prudish person, but I miss. Dude, we just talked about hee-haw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't, in no way, like, you know, I, I miss suggested things. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, and, and I look, man, I'm a, I'm a red blooded dude. Uh, you know, I, I get it, man. Sex sells like that's, but you're my boy. Lot, like, I know where you're what? going. I know yeah, where you're but, going. You're my boy. Like, I mean, it just, well, now I'm, now I'm scared. I'm going to let you down here. No, like, you're saying exactly. Go for it. Well, man, I'm just saying like, I don't see the purpose of some of the crap that they put in the, in all the movies, man. Like I'll watch something and it'll be a sex scene in there. And I'm like, what happened to suggested moments? You know, like going into it. Uh, I don't, I don't have to see it. if honestly, if your film has to draw me in by showing me a blonde, big blonde, big boob chick showing her naked, then I'm like, is that all this movie's got? Like you ain't got nothing else, but right. to show me this chick in this movie. Well, I'm I'm gonna tip my I'm gonna tip my hat to you because I'm much the same way. Um, do you know who Alberto Vargas is? Hold on. So so is that where you thought I was going with it? More or less, yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of tell you exactly where I thought you were going with it, but where I'm at, I thought we were on the same team. We're close. All right. Uh, <laughs> so all right. you know who Alberto Alber- Alberto Vargas. Uh, I don't know. Who is that? So he is a guy. Do you remember the, the poster girls or the pinup girls from the thirties and forties that you'd see like painted on the backs of, uh, world war two planes or, or playing or playing cards or that kind of thing. Yeah. Calendar girls. Yeah. yeah. So Alberto Vargas was the guy. I mean, he was, he was my favorite artist in that era. And I think he really influenced me and, and not in a, not in a perverted way. Like my dad's stepdad, um, 
was just really into all kinds of beautiful art, into photography, into gardening, into a lot of things. And that was one of the things he gave me when I was like 13 years old um, was this playing deck of cards, 52 cards. Each one of them had a different pinup girl on it. And yeah. he said, listen, there's a difference in a woman who shows you everything and a woman that gives you everything. And he gave me that deck of cards. He's like, there's always something more. Yeah. You know, and he was like, don't, don't ever forget cheap liquor and easy women are regrets in the morning. You know what I mean? And yeah, it was just one of those things that stuck with me. But even to this day, like I've been to strip clubs, I've worked at a strip club. Um, you know, I, I'm very comfortable in that environment. If, if that's, you know, where my friends want to go and that's what they want to do. It's not a place that I'm going to myself. You know, I much yeah. prefer a burlesque show or something along those kind of lines where it's suggestive, not necessarily explicit. Cause I think I prefer more of uh, and this is, this isn't anything like whether it's movies, music, art, you know, women, whatever. It's like the idea of, let me fill in the blank and then you prove me right or wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. There, there's something well, that's why to you that. like inception. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. But Hey, that, that is a man. Crap. I just, uh, I was going to say that, that led me to a spot. I'm just, I just drew a blank on it. Um, crap. What was I going to say on that? I, I had a, I'm talking about the pinup. Oh, oh no. All right, a prime example. That that's obviously not a a far reaching idea because all right, Jennifer Aniston. Okay. She still if she's in a movie, it still draws a ton of dudes to see. Jennifer Aniston, I mean like dudes still love her. What is the what is it that Jennifer Aniston like I'm asking you here, if you had to think what is it that Jennifer Aniston is doing different than the rest of the actresses that have kind of don't have the same draw she does? What, what do you think it is? Has she ever, has she ever gone topless in a movie? No, she has never, to my knowledge, she has never bared it all in a movie. And I, I told one of my buddies one time, I said, if I'm watching a movie and I see an actress show it all, then I can pretty much say that in the like she's gonna basically vanish into the the abyss after that. And I mean, yeah. and he's like, "That's not true," you know. Angelina Jolie and name some of these others. I'm like, but it's not the same. There's still like Jennifer Aniston has like an appeal to dudes that a lot of actresses don't because. Well, never seen her naked so it's like that imagination i think one thing too is and i'm not saying that it's right wrong or anything like that i'm just saying that i think when an actress makes a choice um you know to bear all or whatever she has kind of entered herself into the ring of sex symbol you know her body (laughs) is being being used for a sexual purpose so it is by definition then a sex symbol and i think certain roles require a certain look to fit the, the Hollywood model or the Hollywood expectation or whatever. And I think 
what you're saying is accurate in that their roles diversify if they're no longer willing to bear all. You know, like yeah. they don't they get a yeah. different type of role once they stop like you can stay in that realm forever, but you're gonna age out or you're gonna body out or you know what I mean? Like Hollywood yeah. is very is very, very scrutinizing. That's why we see these people changing their face and having all these plastic surgeries. Like this is not me being critical of anybody. It's me being honest about the real world. Like people pay for a certain look and Hollywood responds. Like they're not going to put people on there that just feel a certain way. They have to look a certain yeah. way and they have to perform a certain way. And then them's just the breaks. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to tell you if, you, if that hurts your feelings. I'm sorry, but welcome to America. That's the way it is. Um, it is. But I think you're, I think you're right though. I think it it levels up. Like saying no probably cost her some roles and some money in the short term, but in the long term, she's probably made it way more. Yeah, because she she's got the staying power. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and I know somebody somebody's probably listening. They're it like, does she's help that terrible. she's a, it, it does help that she's a legitimate ten. Like, oh, and, and I think and I think beyond just looks too. Like, I think the I don't know why. But I think the public perception of her is just a very nice kind of girl next door, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it like that was like it like burned Brad Pitt to the ground there when he cheated on her or whatever there with Angelina. All the all the women like that, like that hurt his sex symbol status whenever he did that, because they were like, how could he cheat on uh, Ang- or, uh, it hurt their on sex her. symbol status? But it probably didn't hurt their fantasy status. <laughs> women, women, yeah. women love a bad boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what uh, I've heard a thing, and it was talking about. I know you've seen Legends of the Fall. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody wants to be the Tristan. Nobody wants to be what's the brother Sam. Yep. Nobody wants to be Sam. Everybody wants to be Tristan, and that that's true, man. I mean, and that's <laughs> this is kind of. Film and this one of the reasons why film appeals to me so much is because it can apply to so many elements of life. And you know, you talking about your dad taking you and, and like all these things and like that right there, the memory that it brings back up. Um, it's just man, I can think about you know we talked about Stallone or Arnold. I, I'm I've always been a hardcore Arnold guy, man. I, I loved Conan the Barbarian, Commando. When I was like 10, I would watch Commando like every weekend. Like that was like my favorite movie. He would shoot a guy <laughs> with like. I love it. With, oh, dude. And, and I loved the bullet <laughs> physics because he would shoot a guy with a gun and he'd turn like a back flip in the air. So I had like this yeah. image of like, man, warfare must be insanely violent. Like it is like. It's violent, but I'm like, man, their shoot bodies are like turning flips everywhere, like uh, in warfare. But uh, <laughs> oh, that movie, man. I, so, you know, Schwarzenegger, he he was my dude, and and that's what one of the things I do think. You know, you talked about I can get lumped into something because I'm I am a political person. I mean, I I have like you said from the start, I'm a strong minded guy. I've I've never, I, maybe this is good, maybe this is bad, but I'm, I'm not swayed easily uh, in a direction, uh, which I'm, I benefit growing up. I, peer pressure never 
had really any power over me. You know, I always like, ah, just don't want to do that. I don't care. And uh, I will I'm, say, I tried to, I tried to get you to take another, I tried to get you to take another bourbon down there, and you wouldn't have it. <laughs> yeah, there you, you go. You, you said I, I usually have one a night, or one when I have it. When I have one, I have one. <laughs> yep. That's man. It's just. <laughs> I don't know. That's just my personality. That's the way I am. Like, I'm like, no, nope, no, I'm good. Uh, but well, let me ask you something. Man. This is, I, I do want to take a turn on this. Cause I want to ask you about this. Do you okay. think that, do you think that people like you and I are different on our beliefs? I mean, you and I have very, very similar beliefs on a lot of topics, but we have different beliefs on certain things. Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is it's like the fact that you're firm on your beliefs doesn't mean you're an indecent human being. You know what yeah. I mean? It doesn't mean yeah. that you would cast out or just, you know, if there was a respectful person who was at the opposite end of the spectrum, I can't imagine you being anything but exactly how you've been on this conversation. You know, to me, it's when it becomes embroiled in passion or in emotion, Yeah, you know, that it becomes now, problematic for me. A, a very close friend of mine from high school, actually, and we've remained good friends. I don't talk to him. I mean, I guess with any typical high school friend, you know, I don't talk to him hardly ever anymore because it's been years ago. But I still like we could he could call me today and be like, hey, man, I'm in town. Let's grab lunch. He is a he is a raging liberal and I am on the complete other spectrum and great friends like. If somebody's respectful to me, I am 100% respectful to them. Like, I I don't care what somebody is. I mean, even when I was doing the film stuff, I mean, I was surrounded by people with <laughs> polar opposite political spectrums of me. I mean, like I told you, I said I pulled up in a four-wheel drive truck with, like, an NRA sticker on the bumper. I mean, like, they would, like, I'm surprised my Charlton Heston is my president. Yeah, yeah, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm surprised my truck was not on fire when I went back outside. And and it was funny because, and this is one of the things that I, I wish as a country we could come together on. Because, all right, when I'd go in there, most of them probably didn't see my truck. Now, I mean, in a lot of ways, I went in, I'm a 6'1", 200-pound bearded guy, and, like, I didn't have the huge beard because I did have to try to look somewhat like a like a modernized civil, like citizen at that point. Um, so <laughs> I had kind of my, like, what I called my, like, GQ beard, you know, it's back when I was trying to, like, look like a handsome man. And uh, so I'd go in there and... Uh, they they had no idea because I didn't walk in being like uh, piss on Hillary, like, you know. I wasn't like going in guns blazing, and and I just if somebody struck up a conversation, we'd have a conversation. I would never interject politics into it. And there was several times where, you know, I remember I was at like a forty eight hour film festival. I'd stay all night, and I played like a I was like a vampire and something. It was it was really <laughs> weird. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> this this dude came out and he had on a suit and he uh he was like some guy goes, Well, you look like a young Republican and they were all like, Oh my god and like laughing and stuff and I was just standing there like, Is this a that's supposed to be an insult? <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> Did I miss something? So, but I just never said anything because I'm, man, if there's, if somebody, if they had come up to me and been like, what do you believe, man? What are your, what are your thoughts? Then I would gladly share them. I mean, like, I'm not a poet. And I, what I wish the country could do is I could go in there. These people, I mean, they wouldn't piss on a Republican if he was on fire the way they were talking. But yeah. I'm I'm as far on the other end of the spectrum as them as I could have been. And I had a great time just talking to them about anything like that they talked about. Like and I I was in the little films with them, had a good time with them. This is where I do get annoyed. And that's where I do say it's the intolerance of the tolerant. And it's like the left side is supposed to be this tolerant beacon. And then the right side, we're like a bunch of bigoted buttholes, like the way they look at it. And it's like, man, I don't care if somebody like, look, I don't, I don't get the thing with Biden. I wouldn't, I didn't vote for Biden. Um, if you voted for him, I don't hate you. Like, I don't care that much in all honesty. You know, I made a post the other day. I was like, America has had crappy leaders in the past. America will have crappy leaders in the future. This is not going to be the undoing of America. Like, what, I, and, and in the, what do you sorry, think? Uh, well, no, what do you think, you know, as a, as a con- conservative, and, and this, certainly this is not, I promise, if you're, if you're still listening at two hours, um, we're not going down a political rabbit hole. I'm just trying to touch on some things that I think are important to show. You know, I, I know that there are people that if they looked at your page strictly before listening to this podcast, they would make assumptions about what this podcast would be. And I'm yeah. trying trying to show that there are people on all sides of the spectrum, all sides of the political spectrum that are capable of rational thought. And just because you're tied to voting for someone, you know, one time doesn't mean that your feelings for that person stay as adamant as that vote. You know, that's one of the problems with, with our system. You know, um, I, I personally did not vote for Trump this term. I did not, uh, I did not really feel confident in either of the two presented as the majority, uh, you know, Democrat or Republican, I didn't feel confident in either of those two to lead our country in a way forward, just based on things that I felt like we needed to have somebody that could moderate the two sides. And I felt like those two were polarizing. Um, You know, so I, I felt like we deserved better than that, and I chose to vote who I thought was better than that. But as someone who, you know, Kanye. I 100%, dude, it was is Kanye only if Kim ran as the VP, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as someone who, you know, was is a conservative and was a Trump supporter, um, like, what do you feel went wrong there? Do you feel like and I, I don't want to try to tie you to just loving this guy, but do you feel like he thought that he, I'll, let's just frame it down to this one question. Do you think like he thought he would lose the election? No, I don't. Yeah. Um, I didn't think he would. Um, yeah. Man, I just, the, 
Trump is an interesting character. Um, you know, if I could select my president, Trump would not have been like if, if they like gave out a thing, I was like, all right, here you go. You know, you pick this guy. Uh, Trump would not have been who I would have picked. Uh, right. I'll tell you one of the appeal to Trump and our country and our, like movies, for instance, they interject politics into movies to the point that I don't, I can't hardly stand a lot of the most, the modern films. Like that, right. I think that's one of the reasons why I love old films. And I mean, old films would do it too, but it, it was in a much, it, it's hate today. Like it's a hate filled thing today. Mm-hmm. Back then it was poking fun. You know, it's like Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson would make fun of everybody. Uh, sure. And then you had David Letterman and he like only made fun of Republicans. And it's the same reason why I think South Park has done so great. It's because South Park makes fun of everybody. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's why I can appreciate humor when it's made at all, all angles. But when mm-hmm. it's like consistently hammering one thing, I'm like, this is really one sided. Like, what is it? Where is this bias? And, um, uh, so dude, I can tell you, honestly, I mean, people don't understand. I know on the other side of the aisle, people don't understand what people like about Trump. And I'll be honest with you, Trump was a middle finger to that. Like that's, that's right. what appeals to people about Trump. Trump was, you know, we're sick and tired of the political correctness crap. So this is just, this is just the, the F you to that. And, um, in no way, that's the other day, somebody made a post and they were like, this is all Trump's fault. The divide. I don't pin it all on him. Some of it is on him. Trump. Sure. And, and like you said, I, I mean, I voted for the guy, um, but Trump is not, I, he didn't do much to try to bridge the divide. Now in his defense, he has been fought every step of the way. I mean, everything he did, he's been fought. He's been investigated. It's been so much tax dollars spent on it. But at the same time, I mean, you know, there's been times he'll, he'll like, call people out on Twitter and make names and things. And I'm like, man, you know, I wish, I wish our president wasn't doing that. <laughs> like I wish right. he would be a little more presidential. And, uh, I, I actually, what I would have liked to have seen, and I wish I would have done this. I told my buddy, I actually had him on the podcast, my buddy Jacob, but I, he's a huge libertarian and a great friend of mine. And I, I told him, I said, I wish that, uh, what Joe Jorgensen could have gotten the 5% that she needed to get the libertarians on the ballot uh, or in the debate. That's what it was to get them. You know, they have to have like 5% of the votes to be able to debate on the main stage. Now I wish like crap, we could get a, another, instead of just two, I wish we could get a third element thrown into the mix. Cause I, I struggle where I struggle politically. I mean, I'm a huge gun, gun advocate. Um, I mean, I grew up where I've been around guns my whole life, grew up hunting and there's always been, I have, I can't recall growing up or being very far from a gun basically ever in my life. And, uh, I think they're like you, your story you gave at the beginning in Knoxville there. Um, 
And, uh, I mean, I just can't picture a time where a gun is not a valuable tool. Um, secondly, I mean, I've got my, like I said, my faith beliefs and that competes with some things. I'm not going to dive into it, like I said, but me and you talk about it in the truck. Um, but man, there's things as a hunter, I don't want to see like pipelines run through waterways and things. And even as a, from a farming standpoint, see, I struggle even there because there's some farmers that are like, ah, man, farming, farming is really interesting, uh, thing. Like, all right. If you kind of think, uh, I would like to ask you this, trying to think how it would word this. Okay. If you pictured the standard American farmer, like, do you picture, do you picture him being like a cutthroat, uh, like greedy cutthroat person? Is that what you, your imagery of a the standard American farmer is? Not mine. And I don't think publicly, you know, luckily my experience with the immediate farms that I worked on was not that, but that was always their competition. Yeah. It was that, it, that it was a cutthroat because I wasn't family. You know, I was just a hand because I wasn't old enough. I didn't hear all the talk, you know, and I didn't hear the, the words when they were two farmers were yelling at each other about this or that or the other. Um, but I knew and I heard the things like, man, all he cares about is money. He don't care about the small guy. He don't care about us. Like, you know, those kind of things. And it seems like the ones that would squash them would squash the others. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there is, there is that type of farmer out there that they don't care to cut somebody else. that's just trying to make it. Yeah. That, that's the biggest struggle. Like for me, I mean, you know, I told you my, my dad and I farm together or have our own operations, but work together. And, uh, I'm still, a am still in the spectrum here. I'm a small farmer. I think overall the average farm size in America, I think is somewhere around 500 acres. I'm bigger than that, but I'm still what I would consider a small farmer, but it is insane how cutthroat it is. Um, never i never pictured that you know in my mind farmers farmers were men of integrity and uh you know it's, I, the, John, I, it's the john cougar mellencamp willie nelson farmer right <laughs> yeah 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 man i mean that and and that's i think most people would be as shocked as i was because that's what and i mean you still see it you see all the time the stories where like a farmer gets cancer and all the farmers rally together and they, they help harvest his crops. Well, me and a buddy of mine who's a farmer in this area, he's also a small farmer. We were talking about it and we're like, man, you know, that would happen. But the big guy would, while he's harvesting your crop, helping you out, he would actually be looking at the farm and being like, I might can make a move on this place. You know, I think I might try to jump in on this place. And it, it kind of tells me, it tells me a sad, like in the whole scheme of the country and everything, man, and me and you've talked about it, the freaking greed, man. It, it's like, it just kills me. Like, uh, 
I don't want to be, I don't want to farm 10,000 acres. We got, I mean, we got people in my area working 10,000. We got a guy that works close to 30,000 acres in my area. I mean, I have no desire to be that big. You can't even effectively farm hardly that, that size. Like that's the one good thing with a small farmer. Like I have, I'm so small that I can really focus on all my farms, but uh, trying to get on a farm intention, probably like putting people to sleep talking about farming. Uh, If if there's anybody still listening, you're a warrior and I love it. (laughs) I mean, like I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I, you know, I'm just realistic about it. I, yeah. Not to get off on a tangent, but I just I never go into these thinking it's an interview or thinking there's a deadline. You know, it just you yeah. and me talking. And if somebody else happens to listen to it, if nothing else, it's documentation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I, and I just now looked. I didn't realize, man. I'm sorry I've kept you on here this long. No, this is per- dude. It's not. I didn't know it was two hours until I looked. <laughs> so I I'm, I'm not. I'm not not enjoying it. Yeah, have me you stu- too. Man. Have you stuck I'm, to one bourbon? I I did pour just a little bit more of a. I didn't okay. have that willet out here. I've I've got I poured another little bit of that Colonel E H that you had out here. You know that's what they were okay. drinking at. Uh, that's what they were drinking at the the lodge last night. I wasn't up there, but they were they were drinking on that because when I went in, there's probably there's probably just enough to wet the bottom of, of a shot glass in it. So. They tore into that kernel. That's good stuff. Well, that's, yeah. that's what, man, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I'll tell you, my, my go-to sipper when I started was Woodford Reserve, mm-hmm. um, which I, I still really like it. But I, I became not I, – I would go to my local liquor store, and I was getting – I'd get Woodford, and every now and then I'd be like, what's something new to try? And I'd try out something uh, I I do and really enjoy Blanton's, um, but you can't hardly ever find it in my well, area. I got a plug up here on that. On Blanton's? Yeah, and it's funny. It, I don't want to tell my secret, but I've got a spot up here. It's just a shithole. It's I'll tell you what it is, and this is this is me being non politically correct, but just factual about it. It's a it's a alcoholics liquor store. So they yeah. sell they sell a lot of half pints, a lot of twenty two ounce beers, or what you know what I'm saying. It's like it's that kind of thing, but it's got a low key deal where they always keep a, they keep a cool stream of different bottles coming in, and that's yeah. one that they always have a couple laying around for. I mean, right yeah. at sticker sticker price. So I'll pick you one up the next time I get one. Man, yeah, I'd appreciate that. That's a Blant. That's one of them. See, they get them here, like. They'll get them in once a month, and you can usually get maybe one bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of Blantons here, but I tell you, my little my gym that has been it's it's really cheap. Uh, it's like thirty bucks. Eagle Rare. You ever drink it? Yep, yep. That was one that I when I was younger and uh, kind of big dicking. You know, instead of having Jack Daniels sitting there, I'd get that stuff. But it was for that same reason. Like it was a really good bourbon but it wasn't expensive. So, you know, instead of like showing up at a party with Jack Daniels or Jim Beam or something, you show up with that and like people think, Oh wow, he's making more than $25,000 a year this year. You know what I mean? Like I, it was me trying, it was definitely me trying to posture as like, 
I'm not just in college anymore, guys. I think I was like 24 years old or some shit. I took it to, to a party like I was cool or something. But yes, I've had Eagle Rare and I do enjoy it. <laughs> it, it is good, man. I, I'll tell you, I, I bought, all right, um, George T. Stagg. Mm-hmm. And I did buy a bottle and I actually meant, you know, you had to cut out that last night. I was going to, we were going to, I was going to let you have some of that old Rip Van Winkle and see yep. if you thought it was as overrated as I did. Uh, like, man, it was, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I paid not anywhere near what I see on the internet for this bottle. But I had to try it. I just had to try it out. And I got you got it. the ten year, right? It was the rip. No, it's it's twelve. It's twelve uh, year. Okay. It's the lot B or whatever they call gotcha. it. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, man, I mean it's it's good bourbon, but it's not worth the price. Uh, it's no better to me. And I said I'm on a bourbon page on Facebook, and like a lot of people agreed with me on this, and then a lot of people's eyebrows set on fire when I said it. But I was like. I just don't think it's that Blanton's Blanton's is like just as good as it. And, uh, and it's a quarter of the price or like an eighth of the price. Uh, you know, it just doesn't carry the name. Um, but Eagle rare, man, I'm telling you that, that whiskey Eagle rare is a 10 year old bourbon for 30 bucks. That's, that's some like freaking grade a sipping bourbon right there to me. Hey, have you ever had angels envy? No, I haven't. I see a lot of people talk about it. Is okay. it good? Yes. And uh, Richard Soren actually suggested that to me, and he said that that was one that he was on a kick of always keeping, you know, on hand because he said it was, you know, it, it runs. I think it crept up a little bit this year, but I think it runs about fifty-two dollars a bottle or something like that. Yeah. Um, it used to be right in that forty-five to forty-nine dollar range, but. Man, I'm telling you, I really, really enjoy that one. Um, it's a really cool bottle. If you look at the Peace, Love, and Meat page, um, I had a bottle there the other night, and I was cooking some Brussels sprouts. And, uh, okay, that may have been where I saw that. Just It's kind of like a... Well, it's, got angel, it's got angel's wings on the cork. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Is it better than Equal Rare? You know, I'm not going to say yes. But I am going to say I think anybody that would like Eagle Rare would enjoy it a lot. And you don't like rye, do you? No, I don't. Yeah, that's right. Because they have a really good rye, too. Um, Bullet has a really good rye, I think, as well. But, See, I like the Frontier Whiskey of Bullet. Yep, yep. That's that's the one I keep around. And John Dutton drinks it. Oh, yeah? Did you watch Yellowstone? Oh yeah, John Dudden. He's a bullet man. That's hey, right. You, yeah, I remember seeing <laughs> that now. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Bad sob drinks Blanton. Who's that? Freaking John Wick. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's a you, he's a Blanton I like, man. I haven't seen the third one, but I enjoyed the first two. I love those. They're like they're just aggressive violence. I love those movies. Do you think that that's something that kind of like to what you were talking about earlier in Commando, the the violence 
while yours was pseudo violence as well, or you know maybe fa- you know fantasy type violence, not not to the level of like a Quentin Tarantino, but you know backflips when you get shot kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we don't really have that kind of violence in movies anymore. You know, I can remember in some of the lethal weapons, you know, you'd have a guy just sitting right around the corner and boom, headshot. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like we just don't see that kind of shit anymore. It's it's weird. Like our strong male yeah. figure and, and I'm not trying to get on a masculinity kick, but it's weird that a lot of our strong male characters are primarily superheroes, not actual people. Yeah, no, I, the the lead and I, I tell you this, this is the funny thing I always said. I was like, I wanted to be some, and people listen, if, like you said, if there's a war, you're still hanging in there. They're like, this farmer guy is, is a doofus. But that was always my thing. I was like, I want to be the next leading man. Cause there hadn't been a leading man. Like, you know, my dad, you talked about your dad, like the movies he liked, lethal weapons and all those. See, my dad's a Western guy, John Wayne, and all them, and, like, Clint Eastwood appealed to me more, so, like, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Hang Em High, and all those, I love those movies. Um, Clint Eastwood was a leading man, and, like I said, Arnold and Stallone, and, yeah, nowadays we don't have that. We do. We have these huge, like, insanely expensive blockbuster films. Now, a dude that I think could do it, if he would go that route is uh Hugh Jackman. Um yeah. I'm I'm a big fan. Did you ever watch the movie Prisoners? Mm, it, it's kind of, it's jogging something but I don't remember it. Man, it was him and Jake Gyllenhaal. And okay, yes. Okay, I remember I think I watched it on a plane one time. So I didn't it, actually watch it. Well, <laughs> you owe it to yourself to watch it again. Um, that movie's bad to the bone because it's it's so real. Um, Hugh is like, you know, he's kind of like this prepper guy. And then uh, Terrence Howard plays the other, the dad. It's I think it's Terrence Howard. Was he the one? It was the dude from Hustle and Flow. The Hustle and Flow is one of my favorite movies of all time. Whoop that trick, son. <laughs> And I mean, and I'm from, I'm like 20 miles out of Memphis. <laughs> so I, I actually, Hey, I'll tell you a funny, quick, quick side note. Uh, Craig Brewer. Yeah. He made, he was like the director or something of hustle, hustle and flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I linked up with him on Twitter like years ago. They, <laughs> they made, and this is a movie I don't give a shit about, but footloose. They made a remake of Footloose, and Craig Brewer shared it. And for some reason, that guy followed me on Twitter, and I had <laughs> ever put anything on Twitter. And he was, and I, I mean, <laughs> and if I did, I was like, I was like retweeting something that was not what Craig Brewer would be a fan of. And uh, he followed me, and I remember he shared something about the premiere of the new Footloose. And I, I actually reached out to him and I was like, Hey man, that's awesome. And he, he gave me a ticket and I got to go to see the early premiere of Footloose. Oh, um, shit. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, and I got to meet him. He was there 
and I met Craig Brewer. So I got to meet, that's a long way around of telling you that I got to meet the director of Hustle and Flow <laughs> on that. He's actually from this. Was it an Eric Weinstein type of incident there? Is it his name? Oh, Harvey Weinstein, not Eric Weinstein. Eric Weinstein. Oh, genius. yeah. Uh, was thank, it a Harvey thank, Weinstein type incident? Har- Thankfully, there was no black couch or anything like that when I had to meet him. <laughs> you didn't have to do any services rendered for the ticket. Nah, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't have earned it from me. You know, it took a lot better than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's still awesome, though. And I mean, <clears throat> believe it or not, I've had some weird, just, you know, kind of shot in the dark, off the wall, random stuff happen because of social media. You know, and, and like you said, just, Shoot your shot, you know, see what, see what you can make happen. Absolutely. Dude, I think I got like, I think every bit of this weller that I've been drinking just hit at once. I noticed my speech started slurring about 30 (laughs) seconds ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. That's a good, that's a good nightcap. (laughs) Well, hey, listen, let's talk about your deer. I want to hear about it. So the, the cool thing is. You took your boy with you, and he's three. Yep. And I know that you're you're very committed to developing a lineage of of hunter and outdoorsman. And I think yep. you know there's a, there's a moment that I had when my son you know took his deer, his first deer, and it was like I, I don't know how to describe it. But it was it was an overwhelming feeling for me, and he had never seen me take one. He'd just been around, you know, the culture of it. So it's like for him to see you do that and to be there, that had to be just awesome. And it was it was crazy uh, because I mean, yeah, yeah, I took him where me and you had just gone. Um, we, me and you went out there, you know, we saw a bunch of does and. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I've been running cameras. I told you it's been a weird year. Um, I hadn't, I had not gotten what I would consider a shooter on camera. And I just, I told my wife, I said, before the season ends, I'm going to take Levi and just take him out there. And just cause he all the time is like, I want to go deer hunting. Um, and I, I was like, I'm just going to go close to last light and take him so he can go and just kind of have fun and see what it's like. And so me and him went, I got his overalls on and we went and, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it was like, it was really cool. <laughs> like, I, as cheesy as it sounds like it, it like really hit my heart. Um, I'm not an, I'm not at all an emotional person. Um, but man, it was just, it was cold and it was snowing. I, I like hunting in crappy elements. Like I, I enjoy it. I enjoy when it's raining. Uh, I killed my torquid buck when it was raining. Uh, when things are crappy is usually when I do best. Um, and it was snowing and it was cold and I'm in Tennessee. I mean, like it doesn't even, it hardly ever snows. I never get to hunt in the snow. That's always something that I've always said. I, I wanted to hunt in the snow. Mm-hmm. So me and my son, we get there and I get him out and I got his overalls on and his warm coat and his blue gloves and stuff. And I'm like, are you cold? I can't, I asked him like a hundred times, like, are you cold? And he's like, no, no he just keeps shaking his head. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he's about to be three and 
know, I got my rifle and I said, we're just going to go over here to the blind. And I mean, it was like four o'clock, uh, when we got there, sun setting about four fifty seven around that, that time we're getting over there and it's, it's nasty, uh, cause it's sleeted some too. So the ground is real wet and he's like, it is muddy. It's muddy out here. And, uh, I said, yeah, it is buddy. And, and I'm still like, are you cold? Are you cold? And he's like, no, no, I'm not cold. And uh, I'm like, okay, all right. So we get over in the blind, which I'm glad cause it blocks the wind from us. And, uh, I brought him some little gummies and, you know, I give him some gummies and he's eating them and he's sitting there in my lap and he's got him a stick. He actually picked up like a tree limb and was carrying <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> it, yeah, he was like almost stumbling with his tree limb. And I was like, put the limb down. He's like, it's my rifle. And I said, well, pick up a smaller one. So he picked up a <laughs> little smaller branch and that was his rifle. And so we get in the, the blind and, uh, man, we're just, we're in there and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want him to get bored because I don't want to give him a bad taste the first deer hunt. You know, I'm like, man, you know, he's, and more than likely, in all honesty, he may not even, he probably won't even remember this moment. Um, so I'm like, you know, I, but I still don't want to make him bored. Right. By the time we get really situated in the blind, it's already like close to 430, 440. And, uh, he's in there and he's like, there's a deer I'm shooting it. And he's like pointing a stick and acting like he's shooting him. And I'm like, all right, you got him. And I see some birds and we're kind of looking at stuff. Well, I see a deer come out and, uh, we're in that blind over there. And, uh, it looks like a doe. I'm like, Hey, there's a doe. And then it raises its head and it's a buck. And then I see three more bucks. It's a group of them. And I'm like, holy crap, that's several bucks. And then they're pretty big. And I'm like, and leave it. I think this is a, we might get to shoot one. And, um, so I set up and I'm looking at them and, and like an idiot, I didn't take my binoculars because I was like, I'm not going to need these. I'm not going to see anything. So I was like having to crank my scope up and look through and try to find them. And I find them while they go over this ridge. <laughs> and so I told Lisa, I said, sit right here and watch out this window. I said, I'm going to walk right out around the blind, which I, I didn't really want to shoot in the blind with him. I took some earmuffs just in case, but I was like, I still didn't want to, you know, that's still pretty, pretty wild for like a two-year-old. And, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny, man. I told him, I said, just be watching. And, uh, I went out and I saw the biggest one come up he was an eight point. He was somewhat in an angle and I, I just, I got a shot on him because I think, I mean, it's not, I don't know what Levi was doing in the blind. He might've been like shooting the same deer, but they started to see it. Um, one of the bucks came walking up on the flat and he was staring straight at the blind, like getting somewhat startled. So I'm like, I don't know. Levi was probably like, pow, pow, like, <laughs> like shooting him out of the blind. <laughs> so I, I was like, all right, I can't, I can't dilly dally here so I, I got on that the back one i could tell he looked like the biggest one to me and i shot him and dropped him and you know i saw him drop and the three ran off and so i ran over to the blind and i told my wife just the other day i said i wish i had, i it's i wish i had took a picture but i don't because yeah. i 
I'm I'm glad I didn't I'm glad I didn't like ruin the moment by pulling my phone out. But at the same hand, like when I ran to the blind, his little head, he had his hands up on like the window of the blind and was pulling them down and his little head was peeked up. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just watching watching out the window. And that's that's what I'll always remember. Like I can I'll always picture that. Like just even though it was just the other day, I mean just saying that story right there, I'm picturing his little head like looking up. My old my old son there watching, man. He was intently watching out there. And uh, I mean, we got out uh and he ran over there and I mean he was so pumped up, he was like, Man, that's a big deer. Even <laughs> I didn't realize this till later on. <laughs> But he peed his pants. Uh, like he, <laughs> he, he is, uh, he's potty trained and everything. <laughs> but he just we, got hyped. <laughs> yeah, I guess we, we were, we were dragging. Well, I say we, I was dragging that deer back. I gutted it, which is funny. I, I gutted him. Uh, shout out to Montana Knife Company, man. He used the speed goat again there. And, I gutted him when the guts came out. Levi was like, yuck, that's gross. Like, uh, but I, I gutted him and I was dragging him. And, uh, Levi, he said, I needed to pee while you were out of the blind. And, uh, I said, okay, you need to pee here, buddy. Let me help you. Cause he had on his overalls and he goes, no, I needed to pee when you were in the blind. <laughs> I looked and he, 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 <laughs> so, he he started crying because he peed his pants. I was like, I'm not mad at you. I was out of the blind. And so we just kept on going. But man, it was funny, dude. He, uh, when I drag him, I would stop, take a breather, and he would be like, Come on, drag him, drag him. Like, <laughs> so, dude, it's just, I don't know, man. That's, uh, I've heard the people say, and I've always kind of like, thought it was cheesy i guess whenever people are like he just thinks we're hunting or something you know what i'm talking about like where he yeah, says yeah, the kid yeah. they just think we're hunting man i mean it's it's pretty crazy i mean like i'll i told my wife said i don't even i can't even imagine what it'll be like when he kills his first one because i was so pumped that he got to be with me i mean because going into that like i never I didn't go into that thinking we were going to kill a deer. I was like, we're just going to hang out in the deer blind and, and then we'll go. And, uh, but man, it was, that's where I was like the big man upstairs had to, when people say like he didn't, he doesn't orchestrate things. Moments like that say otherwise to me. Sure. Well, you know, the thing that I've, I've kind of reconciled for myself, you know, from a God-like figure, you know, to speak of God or the universe or anything. I think if there's a connected belief that we're a piece of something, you know, whatever your foundation is or whatever your root belief is, I think there's a magnificence in the fact that things do sometimes they just work out. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they just fall into place in a way that it shouldn't like, 
it shouldn't have worked that you got there at four o'clock. It shouldn't have worked that you had a two-year-old with you. It shouldn't have worked that you didn't have your binoculars. And lo and behold, you have this more than the deer, which is awesome. It'll feed your family. And by the way, some of the best cooked venison I've ever had by this man right here. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you're sitting here telling me this story of a deer that would outclass any deer that I've got on my wall. And the moment that you're telling me about is your son. And all that tells me is that you're doing it right, you know? And I think that the recognition, whether it be God, whether it be the universe, whether it be whatever, I think the fact that you're willing to recognize that it is not just your hand at play, you know what I mean? I think there's something significant to that as a human being, because so many times we let our egos get in the way or we try to dictate things that can't be dictated. And I think if you can sit back and sometimes let those mishaps just kind of smile at them, you know, like I'm sure you were sitting there in that blind, just like, man, there ain't nothing going to happen today. (laughs) Yeah. And then all of a sudden something really just call it magical, you know, something amazing happens. And I mean, to me, I'm a little bit older than you, but nearing 40 years old. And I can say for certain that those kind of moments, like I'll never forget seeing my son's face when he finally got over the hurdle of hitting his home run, you know, like, yeah, there was this look of relief. There was this look of disbelief. I don't even know where the ball went. I just watched his face when that bat hit the ball. And he, the second that he knew that it was over the fence, I'll never forget that face as long as I live, you know? And, And I think, man, how fortunate as fathers are we to get those moments, you know? And, and I, I think about times where I didn't take it so serious, you know, and I didn't cash in on those moments probably to the level that I should have, you know, I was there, but I wasn't like, man, don't forget this. You know, I let it, I let it go by too fast. And, uh, so now when I have those moments or I see those things or I get those, those options where I can, I can take the high road and just understand that he's a kid and making mistakes or I can let my anger say, you know what, son, you can do better than this. And I can ground him and take away the Xbox. All of those things dictate what he does tomorrow, you know, and all of those things dictate my memories of him tomorrow. And man, I'm just, I'm so glad to be at a point now where I recognize that it's all going away so fast. Every bit of it, my life, his life. And I'm, I'm not guilty of trying to squeeze it too tight, but man, I sure try to enjoy it. Well, and that's what I wish more people, I think that's what one thing, I don't know why I think about this, but I do. I think about how fleeting time is. Um, because you understand how long it is in a 10 hour day in a tractor. That's, I think that's a lot of the same reason I do too. You know, it's like the day to day can, can seem like forever. And the, the big picture goes so fast. Yeah. Well, uh, and I mean, look at even, look at even 2020 as wild of a year as it is. 2020 blew by like 
my my dad actually used to he always told me i think probably when i was like 18 or 19 i, I turned around at my birthday or something he said here's how it's going to work he said you're going to turn 21 and then you're going to turn 30 and then you're going to turn 40 and then you'll be 50 he was like that that's how your birthdays are going to start working he was like you're going to turn around because he said i my dad is like he might be 60 he's right right around 60 um he was like i he said i just turned 30 the other day you know he, he said that that's how time goes and i i remember as a kid like christmas for example man it took forever christmas to get here i remember when december December got here we'd have like the little countdown calendar or something i didn't think it was gonna get here now as an adult it's like okay uh it's fourth of july wow it's all right now it's Thanksgiving. okay now here's christmas like i mean it like blazes by and uh, oh yeah and i mean dude you know and this is another reason, one of the other things that spurred me on with the, the podcast <clears throat> is, dude, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, you know, I'm a, I consider myself a pretty healthy guy. Um, cancer could get me, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, it don't care, man. I mean, like cancer, like you could, you, you could run you could be the Cam Haynes running a marathon a day and then get freaking cancer. And it could mm-hmm. take, you could get, I could go somewhere tomorrow and get killed in a car crash. I mean, like time is so fleeting and, uh, I don't, I just, and on the flip side of that, I think like something could happen to my family. And it's like, if something happened to, cause if something happened to me, you know, my, my family's got to suffer for it, but I'm gone. But like, all right, let's, let's flip the script. Like, could you say, okay, because as men, there's times when I know myself, like I'll take my wife for granted. Like, you know I mean? Uh, she's, she's going to be there for me at the house. Like she's going to be home for me. And, uh, you know, if I'm out or something like you, it's easy to take time for granted, but then you think about it, it's like, you know, if something happened to my wife, uh, the next day or my kids, like, am I going to, am I going to be, obviously you're going to mourn them, but am I going to be like, God, I wish I would have given them more of my time. You know what I mean? Like that's Oh, for sure. I think that's the conundrum of being human, man. I, I think, um, I don't think it used to be that way. You know, I think the, the pain of loss used to be significant because, you know, you go back to the frontier days, you lived on the homestead with your at least aunts and uncles and grandparents too, you know, like yeah. everybody, everybody pulled weight and everybody lived together. And when you lost somebody, it hurt. I yep. don't know that, I don't know that people hurt for people being gone as much anymore. You know, I think, uh, life is too fast paced. You can't, you can't even begin to, to grieve before you're introduced to the person at the funeral home with the, the menu of what you're going to select for two days later after your visitation, 24 hours, and then 48 hours, you're putting them in the ground. And you know what I mean? It's kind of like this production and we're not really given the opportunity to grieve because, well, Monday comes, you got to go back to work. Yeah. And, 
And, you know, 200 years ago, your work was your home. Yeah. You know, and you were still around the same people that are one less. So I'm not sure that we actually value people. I mean, I know I love people and I know you love people and care about people, but man, I don't know that we're as intrinsic as in each other's lives as we like to imagine ourselves. I mean, can you imagine families of five, six and seven, eight, nine, ten living in a single room cabin? You know, man. and that and that kind of stuff. You know, I mean you're you're in somebody's business at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so love them or hate them, you need them. Fuel with them. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I mean, love them or hate them, you need them. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing now. I mean, I think we, I think we've gotten away from ourselves. We don't respect ourselves, so there's no way in the world we can respect others as a collective. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that, I think that we really, really made a bad deal when we traded the opportunity to have a, a family for more things. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not saying family, you know, I don't want to rub anybody's, especially if you're still listening this far in, I don't want to rub you raw, but, um, whatever your family is, whatever that definition is, you know, I think that if you're only chasing more things or more dollars in the bank, you're missing a whole hell of a lot of life right in front of your face, you know? And yeah, it, we're, we're all guilty of it, man. We're all guilty of it to a degree. I mean, we need things. We, we need to, you need to have a truck. I need to have a truck. You know, I can buy 2000 or $3,000 trucks over and over and over again, or I can buy one I can trust, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's just a, that carrot's constantly dangling in front of us and we get just enough to keep us satisfied. And maybe that's all we need. Cause we still got it easier than anybody's ever had it before us. Man, that's, that's where I, I do get frustrated when people are like, I guess, cut down the country or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know how much, how much easier we got it. I mean, over here, like the fact that the fact that you can get up and like raise cane about the government tells you how easy it is because in other countries, the government will come cut your head off. <laughs> like, <Yeah. so. laughs> yeah, dude, that's not, I might have accidentally inhaled just then. That's not think, a, that's not an exaggeration though. Yeah, no, no. I mean, and that, I, I talked to, uh, I had JP Donnell on, he was a Navy SEAL and he's been, been in the crap. I mean, he's seen it. And he told me, he said, he said, when he went overseas, he went up there he asked me, he said, he asked me straight up. He said, would you leave your kids with strangers? Um, would you leave your son with a stranger? Oh, would you personally? I, that? Would I? Yeah. No, I would not. Absolutely. All right. No. That's it. JP, he said, would you leave your kids with a stranger? And I said, no, not at all. And he goes, all right. He said, when I was overseas, he said, they, the Iraqis, I can't remember if he was in Iraq or Afghanistan, but he said, they would literally, the parents were coming and they were handing us their children, begging us to take them to America. 
he said they were literally begging us to take them. He said, knowing full well, they would never see their kids again. He said, but they just wanted them out of that crap and to live a better life. He said, that should show people what the country is. People want to bash America and talk of things about this. These people are literally like, like the thought of that, when I really thought of that, I'm like, I could like knowing full well, I mean, you're handing your children off with, you would never see them again. Like, I mean, they know that they would never see their kid again, but they just know where they are is so God awful. They want their kids to have a better life. They're like, Americans can't understand that. I, I mean, I can't understand. Like I try to wrap my head around that as a parent. I'm like, I can't, I mean, I can't even envision a scenario where I would give my kids to somebody. To take them. So, well, you, it's like you and I talked about, I still believe this and, I, and I've posted it a few times, but wherever you want to get to, let's just say a million, let's just use real simple figures. Let's say you want to get to a million dollars. You want to have a home that's, that you've paid off. You want to have a brand new Escalade and you want to be able to go on vacation every year to a new destination around the globe, whatever. I mean, just paint the picture that you want to paint. Yeah. There is somebody whose starting blocks are lower than yours. They're not as educated as you. They don't have as much money in the bank right now as you. There's socioeconomic conditions that, that, makes the, the playing field a little bit unlevel, whether that's race, gender, whatever you want to call it. Um, however you want to strike this thing up and how uneven as you want to make it, somebody will outwork your ass to get exactly what you want because America allows that. Meritocracy, yeah. meritocracy is a wonderful thing. You know, it's the idea that if you work hard enough, you will get what you are working towards. And that's the thing. America may not reward you for your effort, but it will never prevent you from trying again. You know what I mean? That's what I believe without anything. You, yes, I guarantee you, if you start out on anything that's worthwhile, you will fail. But I also tell you that America, the United States of America will allow you to try again, no matter how many times you fall. Yeah, that is, that is, that is the facts. Yeah, 100%, man. That's, I mean, it, they don't call it the, the land of opportunity for nothing. I mean, that, like, and again, like I said, it should make people think the fact that you even came down and deer hunted and we became good friends through that. I mean, that alone should tell people, like, hey, man, just, just go after what you want to go after. So, yeah. Well, man, I think that, that's covered it. Shit. Almost three hours in. <laughs> hey, if somebody, if the people that still remain. The I one. If there's the one. one. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. And I hope you do listen and don't. Like Brandon said, man, I, I will literally talk to anybody. I mean, like, I don't care. Politics, whatever. Um, and it, it doesn't. It just doesn't matter that much to me at the end of the day. So I'm like, I can be friends with anybody. So I, I hope that is a takeaway people get. I hope that, and it, 
I, I, maybe I need to, I need to do a better job on social media. I guess, I don't know. Maybe I need to portray myself better. I don't know really how I need to do that, but maybe I need to do that. I think you just need to, I think you just need to go deeper and diversify more, like show all the shit you're into, you know, um, to circle back to the idea, you know, I don't, I don't just say that. I mean, I meet a lot of people, you know, I meet a lot of really interesting at some level, interesting people. And to kind of come back and wrap full circle around what, what I told you down there was you can, you're in a position that I'm not even in, you know, I still have to consider, um, that I have an employer and that I have a family and I have people around me that somewhat depend on me to keep it together, to keep it between the lines, you know, and, and you don't like you, you still, you have a family. Yes. But you also have the freedom that if something is weighing on your mind or weighing on your heart in such a way, if you want to say something, you can say it. And I think that that is a, man, that is something so powerful. And and to back up just a second to say, Bert Soren, Soren X, my family, my friends, like I have unbelievable support. I've never, ever said anything. And I've said a lot of stupid things, but I've never said anything that they've asked me to retract or change. They might ask me to think about it, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but how do you feel? I mean, do you feel like you're actualizing the American dream? Cause as somebody that sees a lot of people that talk like they have a lot of freedom, when I met you and I saw the way that, that your household is run and the, the flow that you and your wife have and the, the way that you all raise your children and just the things I saw a great deal of, preparation. It didn't look like you got to where you are accidentally, you know, and it looks to me like you are exercising a very well within reach for anybody appreciation for the freedoms that America offers. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're making a living. You got a blue collar family, putting food on the table, got a roof over your head. It's working. Is, is that enough or does there have to be more? Man, you know, I, I, if I, if I wasn't doing the podcast thing, I, I would be craving more, um, uh, because just because I need that outlet, uh, that creative outlet, I, I've learned that I need that. Mm-hmm. Um, any, like, like I said, that, that thing has to be, it has to be used because it does eat at you, which and I asked you when you were down here and you said you had read the book, you had read the book, the alchemist. Um, Mm -hmm. I I love the book, the alchemist. Um, I love the part in the book, the alchemist where the guy asks him, um, the, the kid, the shepherd asks the alchemist, what if he stays and doesn't pursue Mm. the treasure or whatever? And, he gives him like a multi-year breakdown of what will happen. And, you know, like first year you still will have the like inner guidance of where the treasure is. And then the second year, and he'll, he'll be happy with his life. The second year, the, the pool of the guidance will kind of go down and his happiness might kind of dwindle a little bit. 
the third year, it will essentially, and I, I'm probably somewhat butchering that, but this is roughly what he says. And uh, like over the years, to the point of eventually, he never he loses that guiding light. It goes mm-hmm. away, and he'll be a miserable person. And that's what I, I that's kind of how I was, like how I, I was there. I mean, when I, I was a machinist, I've been farming now for, I've come back. This is, this will be my seventh season um, since I've been back uh, farming. And man, I was there. I mean, uh, before I came back to farming, I was essentially miserable. Um, and I, I had a, I got a great wife and like, very blessed life and so i was like gosh why am i so freaking miserable like i'm and you know i was able to get back to the farm and even when i was a machinist i I actually was finding time to write and do some like work on my screenplays and stuff i didn't know what would ever come of them didn't didn't really care if anything did i was like i just have to do these and uh so i did them and they're probably so terrible, but it was so like, I just, I had to do them. And so I wrote, and then when I came back to farming, I had the freedom, like I said, the time to do, to start this podcast. And I mean, it, and then something that I've been dabbling with, I even do a little YouTube on the farm, kind of showcase what I do on the farm. And it, it's like, man, I don't know. It, I found ways to mesh my creativity in without thinking like, well, I have to be in Hollywood or I can't do anything. Like, you know, like it's like kind of thing. Like I found other elements and they just, they, it almost found me as much as I found it. And, uh, from an American standpoint, I mean, anything I have is 100% attainable because I, I am in no way, I don't consider myself special in any way. Um, I just pretty much know like, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm going to just start and I'm just going to try to do it. And the biggest thing that I've seen from people that make it and people that don't is the people that make it just don't quit. They just don't let go. I mean, most of the people that let go, a lot of times it's like they let go and they're closer to the line than they really thought that they, they realized they were. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really the main thing, man. I mean, it's just holding on when others let go. Yeah. I mean, I think back to my powerlifting days and <laughs> I think if you were to lay out the things that I did for powerlifting, I would look at it and be like, man, you're, you're an idiot, you know, but <laughs> I, I was willing, I was willing to do whatever it took. And yeah. if you were, if you were to ask me to do that right now for powerlifting, there's no way in the world. But if you were to ask me to exercise that, to be the the kind of man that I strive to be one that is capable, honest, valuable for his mind, as much as his body and like, the ability to hunt, the ability to build and create and lead, like all of these aspects of, of what I desire to be. 
if there was a straightforward path of like, hey man, do this, and yeah. it'll get you yeah. one step closer, what other step is there to take? You know, and that's the way that I looked at powerlifting. There was one gym that I wanted to train at, and that was Westside Barbell. Yeah, that was the that was the gym that was bringing the the most great lifters at the time. I mean, just perennially every year, annually, they just have new lifters that were just bigger, better, stronger. And to me, what other step was there? So yeah. you know, that's what I would try to tell people to to find is like without hesitation, without restriction of, well, this is what people will think. What is the next step that's uninhibited by your gut? Like the one thing when you say it, it's real, it's connected. It's, I mean, just like you said, man, you can't turn it off. You know, when it's, when it's on, it's on. And and that's how you know, that's how you know where, I feel like that's how you know where to go. Like people that, people that say they don't know what they're supposed to do. Uh, And that's, that's where I was fortunate that I had, you know, 10 or 12 hours or so to ride on tractor. Um, You need to get to know yourself. Um, And usually you, you're, you're like inner being will kind of tell you, I mean, it'll kind of let you know. And and there's little hints that'll let you know. Um, So, I mean, you got to be willing to listen. Well, man, speaking of listening and talking and everything, I think, uh, I think we've, we've really solidified that you and I need to do more of this stuff. And two, um, I just look forward to, to sharing this episode and for nothing else, man, it just, it's two people talking and in a world where everybody's screaming at each other, you know, that's what I, that's what I love about Joe Rogan. And I, and I always, you know, I hesitate to talk about him because every podcast you listen to, people just kind of stroke his cock about things. It's like, oh, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. I mean, I get it. He's, he's an amazing person. But what I'm looking at is the idea that here's a person who, like he's even talked about, you know, he's going longer than a minute. He's going longer than 140 characters. He's doing these long-form conversations about really – some interesting stuff, some deep, deep information stuff. And then sometimes just complete leisure listening, you know? And I think we are rapidly losing the ability to converse. We're communicating, we're connected, but we're losing the ability to converse and have long conversation and have long attention, sustained conversation. Like, dude, this is the fastest three hours I can remember. Me too. You know, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not it, <laughs> three hours. No, I mean it really has rolled by, and it's it's been good, man. Um, yeah, I just I could I didn't know like coming home. I was I wasn't tired. I was pretty charged up from being in the field today, and you know wanted to shower, wanted to eat, then wanted to get on this. And I was like, I don't know. Let's go an hour. Well, let's go because you just never know. And I certainly yeah. didn't. I certainly did not expect it to to turn into what it has but i think i think that's good man um we really you know what's even you know what's even crazier we didn't even talk about we didn't even talk about dc at all no we didn't 
No. Hey, that's a, that's and that should that's a good thing, man. Crap, I think, I think man. so that's, too. I think so too. Let's let's not even touch on it. I think it's <laughs> it's a sad situation, but the truth is, like, I, I I believe in what I posted the other day. Yep. Better people equals a better world, and yeah, you know. That's that's all I'm about is just trying to be a better person myself and trying to help other people be a better person and, you know, introducing people that I find interesting, introducing people that I find to be good people living life on their own terms, but not harming anybody else along the way. If I could wrap up what I want from peace, love and me to be, that's it. You know, like, yeah, the, the idea that man, there's so many great people out here. Like I'm not taking away from the fact that Joe Rogan has a podcast, but everybody's talking about Joe Rogan. You know, there's, there's a Logan out there that is doing really good things and really honest things and really good, like just being a good person. And you even said that at the Mexican restaurant. I was, I was impressed with that too. You said, you know, I don't think I'm better than anybody, but I do think I'm a good man. And I thought, I thought, what a, what a statement to say without pride. It was just honest. You know, like I didn't take that as a prideful statement from you at all. And yeah, I think that we need more people to get the, to a place in their life where they can say, you know what, I might have this shortcoming and I might have this shortcoming, but I'm a good person. And I, you know, that sounds cheesy and hokey, but God dang, you know, you got to be a good person before you can be anything else. You know, to me, it's, it's important to, to cultivate good people. And I'm, I'm very happy to connected with you on a deeper level for sure. Man. Yeah. And like I said, I'm, I'm honored to get to, to call you a friend. Uh, it's been, like I said, I, I could, I could never do another podcast and it's been a success. Um, because I, I count my friendships more than anything. And, uh, uh, I mean, uh, and I'm honored you had me on the show. Uh, like I said, I, I hope you don't lose all your followers. <laughs> Dude, it, you know, it's awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on. And, uh, I mean, like I say, man, you're, you're a buddy of mine. Uh, like you're my friend and, uh, I appreciate your friendship. Yes, sir. Well, man, I and don't I, do it. I, Go ahead. Before you close, I got to leave you with one tidbit. I got a, I got a one snippet of movie trivia that we close right. on. Let me pour, let me pour a half a shot. Hold on. All right. Hold on just a second. Figure I want to celebrate this episode. This is a great one. Well, man, right. I'm I'm glad. Like I said, I've really enjoyed it. I really have. Like I said, this this has been the quickest three hours. I mean, I, I've done I've done podcasts with some people that an hour seemed way longer than this. Why? <laughs> so, what do you think it is? Do you think do you think it's just because I don't know? I've had some. I've had an hour with a couple people that it was just so difficult to get anything out of them like they just didn't want to expound on anything well that's what man i mean like i told you i've I've always my my biggest thing is to be genuine and uh Mm -hmm. i don't i don't i just i don't see any point in holding back 
on who I am. And so, I mean, maybe that's it. I, maybe I just talk too much, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I think you're doing great, man. I think, uh, you know, I just keep, I just keep focusing on those bumpers, like in bowling, you know, you're going to, you're going to overshoot one way and then you're going to overshoot the other, but just keep, keep rolling down the middle. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. You know, I, but the main thing is you're rolling and, you know, we talked about a lot of your stuff with the podcast, kind of behind the scenes, you and I talking. And I think as long as you stay true to what you want to do and have the conversations you want to have, I mean, like this one right here, like, I know I'm conscious that we're recording it, but I also am very conscious of the fact that at this point, I don't know if anybody will ever find this, this minute mark by listening to it. But the fact is we keep coming up with new topics to talk about, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's not like it's been a, a, a chore to get here. So no, I think, no, I, I think that's a good sign, man. So what you, what, sorry, it's like, I got all sentimental and poured a shot and everything else in between, but what was your movie trivia? All right. Do you know where Aerosmith came up with the name for the song walk this way? I do not. It was from Young Frankenstein. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> when, Igor, when they come to the train station and Igor goes, walk this way, and he gives him the little cane and he walks down the, <laughs> the uh, thing. That's, that's literally where Aerosmith came up with the name for walk this way. <laughs> well, that's cool. What's uh, all right. That sounded like a total dismissive, but that that is very interesting. Um, <laughs> what is what is the next movie you're going to watch? Oh man! And and what time do you normally go to bed? You said you're a night owl. Man, I, well, I'm going to go in. It's twelve. I'm in Tennessee. It says twelve thirty here. I still got to go in. I'm going to take a shower. I'll probably hit the sack. But uh, yeah. you know, usually around twelve o'clock or so um yeah. is that what you would prefer because i think i think i told you if i had my way if i had my way about an exact perfect day like just on the regular this is what it would look like i'd probably get up around 10 i would probably have myself a nice egg bacon toast breakfast and then Start about work around 11, work until 7, and then, like, have dinner, and then hang out, watch movies, listen to music, cook. Even after dinner, just cook. Like, I love cooking. <laughs> um, I don't know. I probably end up in the bed around 2, 3, you know, something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just, I just tend to... I'm not a morning person in the fact that I like, I like setting my alarm, but when I get up, no matter if it's 3 a.m. or 10 a.m., I get up happy. Yeah. You know, I, I get up in a good mood, but I think my natural tendency would be more of a night owl. Like right now, like I'm in my element. It's 1 30, sitting here having a shot of bourbon. You know, th like this, this to me very much appeals to parts of my life that aren't necessarily in it anymore. Like the smoky old bar room 
Yeah. At, yeah. At, two at two o'clock in the morning when you're just shooting the shit, playing pool or, you know, playing cards, whatever. I mean, like, I enjoy that. I enjoy people that are a little bit on the other side of the track, so to say, you know, maybe, I don't know. I just enjoy, I enjoy all kinds of people. And yeah, I do too. Uh, yeah. uh, man, I see now I'm, if I can have it both ways, the way that I would uh, ideally for me would be, I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning and I would, I would eat now. Now, if this is a perfect day, I ain't worrying about anything that I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning. I'm going to pound some black coffee and I'm going to eat a big freaking cinnamon roll. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I'm going to, you know, man, I don't know. I, I don't get too crazy on my days cause they could do whatever. I'm going to just kind of do some odd stuff during the day. Um, I still, like I told you, I still got that 3d course that I want to set up here behind my house and get it set up to do some shooting and then lunch man, probably go tear up some hot wings or something, go out, uh, do some more stuff the rest of the day, eat dinner with the family. And I would go to bed probably around 12 or one o'clock, but see, I, I need, I need between five to seven hours of sleep. But mm. if I could do it, I'm a night owl morning person. <laughs> so like, That's the way I am too. I, yeah. It, it sucks because it's like, I want both. I want to get up at both of them. So like, I can tell you, like I could set my alarm for, and, and I, it's one of the reasons why I'm not a huge duck hunter because when I duck hunted, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to take us to like four hours here, but just when I duck hunted, um, man, I, used to, I hated it. My dad would wake up, wake, come up there and like wake me up when I still lived at home. And he, he'd wake me up at like four o'clock or three thirty in the morning to get ready to go duck hunting. And I probably didn't go to bed till like 12 o'clock or one o'clock. And I'm like, I hated it. And then we go, so. I like duck hunting for the camaraderie and stuff, but I sure hate getting up at four o'clock or three o'clock in the morning. Like, dang, I hated that. But now five to six range, I I can do five to six, even on pretty limited sleep. I can usually, I can usually do them pretty good. what's, What's funny is, you know, everybody gets around like the Jocko 430 or whatever. And 430 a.m. I did that for about six months. I was getting up at four thirty, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm fucking doing this." Blah blah blah. Well, I had the discipline on the front end, but I didn't have the discipline on the back end. You know, like I'd be up till I'd be up till like midnight or one. You know, and it just it crushed me. So what I found yeah. was if I got up at five thirty and really, really just like organized my day, by like eight or nine o'clock, I was pretty whipped. You know, so I started getting in the bed around nine o'clock and sure as the world, I'm out by 10. So from 10 to five, from 10 to five thirty, you get seven and a half hours of sleep. My whole world changed when I started to get seven and a half hours of sleep at night. You know what I mean? Like I, I have operated at a high level on four to five hours for most of my adult life. 
And in the last three to five, I'd say last three to four years, I've focused on getting at minimum six, but I really strive for that seven to eight. And I feel do that. my life feels immensely better for that. Yeah. I need to do that. That's my wife. I mean, when she's, she's a nurse and I mean, she gets up at, when she works, she has to get up at four thirty. And ideally like tonight she was in bed by nine o'clock and, uh, man, that's when I, when I wrote my screenplays, I actually would go to bed around nine o'clock and I'd get up at five and I would write before I'd go to work. Like before we go start on the farm, that was how I did it. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a believer in the like moonlighting or whatever, I guess that'd be like sun sunrise lighting (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) but that that's uh i'm a believer in that um so no man and that i was that same way but now i've been and i told you when you're here you know i'm bad about running off of like five hours of sleep for a while like doing that for several nights and then i'll feel real crummy uh like when it kind of it eventually catches up with me and, uh, yep. cause it's, you know, when you're, when you're a teenager or like even in your like very early twenties, you know, you can do that. You can bounce back. But like, as I get to 30 here, it's like, man, I just don't quite, can't quite do it. <laughs> like I used to do it. So dude, I'm telling you 38 and I don't know if it was just 2020 or what, but my body just started to ache. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like I get up in the morning. I'm like, dude, I feel great. I slept. And then I stand up and I'm like, what? I, I strain a hamstring while I slept. Like, what the hell is going on? And I'm supposedly in better shape than I've been in 10 years. You yeah. Know, you're like, like something pounds down. Golly, dude. I am. I don't know. I, body feels good, but I also feel, I don't think. I don't think it was all of a sudden. I just think sometimes we can lie to ourselves better than others. Yeah. And I think every once in a while we get drawn back into what, what it really is. And like right now I'm just realizing, man, I'm getting arthritis in my hands. My left knee is tragically bad. (laughs) My back hurts. My neck's probably going to have to, you know what I mean? It's like, I can sit, I'm like you though. I could sit and whine about all this shit, but like, I'm going to, I'm just like a, you know, my old pickup truck, I'm going to drive it until it forces me to take it in. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to interrupt the, the dreams and the momentum that I have right now. Cause dude, I got to say I'm real much like you were saying, you're a good man. I can tell you, I'm proud of myself in 2020 because at the very, very least I identified a lot of my personal shit, like a lot of things that I needed to fix. Yeah. And I started and I started working on those and attacking those things. And, you know, coming into 2021, I still think there's a lot of uncertainty. I still think there's a lot of things that we need to be cautious of and, you know, considering maybe just things getting a little bit worse than they are. Um, you know, I feel like I'm starting 2021 from a good place. But the cool thing is, too. I'm not fixing the same problems in 2021 that I was in 2020. You know, I'm far from perfect. I'm far from even good enough, but 
at least I didn't stay the same or go backwards. Like I can clearly point to areas in my life that have improved in 2020 just because of some discipline. And I'm not talking like, you know, being a hard ass about it. Just like, okay, here's three things that you've got to accomplish today. Do them. Make sure they're done. You know, here's Mm. one, one email you need to send to, to right or wrong. I mean, just take ownership, man. Well, and I can tell you just from the time that I've gotten to know you, you, you're a good man. So you are, I mean, you, you, you definitely are. I mean, I, I, I don't like to connect with, with crap heads and, uh, you're not a crap head. So, uh, man, you know, I'm, I'm excited for you for 2021 and, and I'm, I'm excited to see what you do in 2021. Well, whatever it'll be, it'll be fun. So <laughs> I always seem to have a good time. Yep. Well, brother, I think that's a good place to call it. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, man. It has, man. It's been fun. Thank you, man. It means a lot uh, to me. Oh. You having me on. Well, absolutely. Well, listen, man, uh, look forward to seeing a few weeks at Sornex and till then be safe, tell the family hello. And, uh, I appreciate you. Absolutely, brother. Yep. I'll see you then and I'll be bringing you some meat. <laughs> Sounds good. I got the phone call today. I got a message. They said they got it done. So. Oh, did Sounds they? Good. Yep. Okay. Well, good. Well, I'll pick it up tomorrow. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Thank you. All right, brother. I'll holler see at you. you. Bye. Mm-hmm.